Hello, this is Larry Turnbull with ACB Radio, and with me is Malcolm Glenn and Mike May with Uber, and they're an Emerald sponsor for the 2016 ACB Conferencing Convention. Welcome. Nice to be here. Thanks for having us, Larry. Nice to have you. So Uber is a wonderful service that uh, many of us have come to know over the last uh, couple of years. And can you explain to any of the listeners who may not know uh, what Uber is and uh, how they can uh, get access to it? Sure. This is Mike. And it's pretty straightforward. Like many apps, you download it from the App Store and then you fill out the, the wizard in terms of email phone number. And in the case of Uber, since you're paying for your ride services through your credit card, you'll have to enter your credit card information. And there's a podcast available. We'll have a USB drive with various podcasts and documents available at the convention at the table uh, booth, table number 11 on July 4, 5, and 6. And that will walk you through how to set up the app and how to use it with these uh, different recordings. But the uh, basic idea is when you're ready to go, assuming that there's Uber in the town you're in, your phone identifies your position to the Uber server. It sees the nearest driver to you, and perhaps they're three minutes away, five minutes away. It gives you that information. Then you say, request a ride, and they tell you who's coming to get you, what their car rating is, and when they'll be there. And there's a countdown ETA, three, two, one, arriving now. Once you get in the car, they take you to your destination, which you can plug in or have the driver plug in to the app. They take you where you're going, you get out, you say, nice day, and you're on your way. There's no exchange of cash because it's all being billed to your credit card. It's as simple as that. Unfortunately, there have been issues about uh, those with guide dogs or service animals. Uh, how would they get in touch with Uber if they encounter drivers who refuse such services? Well, I think it's important to note that Uber has a very strict policy that drivers are required to accept service dogs, and they will reinforce that. Of course, there's always a few bad apples or maybe a few people who are just uh, uninformed that, that this is a requirement, and they think of it, it's their personal car, so they might be thinking, oh, I don't have to follow general rules, ADA rules, I, I follow my own rules, which isn't the case. In the rare instance that a dog is rejected, it's pretty easy to report it through the app, there's a help menu, and there's specific categories in help that walk you through what kind of complaint you want to make. But it take you less than five minutes uh, to report an incident. And then my experience in the few times that it's happened to me, and that, which has been only three times out of probably a thousand rides between my wife and I, we both have CNI dogs. So we're, we're doing a, a double dose with the drivers getting in with two animals and have only been rejected a couple times. And there was a response back from Uber support folks within a couple of hours, uh, 24 hours at most. And then they'll take appropriate action once they uh, look into everything. Some towns, especially the big cities, there are extra options in the app that show up, uh, like Uber XL, Black Car, and other options. Can you go over some of those options on what they mean? Sure. Malcolm, you want to address that? Sure. So the service that most people are likely to use, and which is our uh, most expansive service in that, which with, with which most people are familiar, is Uber X. And that's uh, the low-cost service where folks use their own cars to drive around, pick you up, and take you to your location. There is 
is Uber Black, which is a more premium option um, where a black car will come and take you to your location. Uh, there's Uber XL, which is uh, a low-cost option for when you need more seats. So Uber XL cars can fit up to six people. And then there's um, Uber. Uh, and then there's a, uh, also a premium service uh, from the black car perspective. It's the same thing um, where you'll get six seats um, for for someone who's looking for a black car. Um, more broadly, and uh, in, in, in depending on where you are across the world, and we're available in more than 400 cities, there may be other options available. So there's Uber Select, which sort of straddles the line between Uber X and Uber Black. And in many cities, and increasingly across the world, there's Uber Pool, which is a shared ride option. So in that instance, you call a car, and you may actually you may actually get picked up with someone else already in the car, or on your trip, you'll pick up an additional passenger. The thinking being, what if we could match people? who are going along about the same route. You could decrease the cost for the rider, and it's not going to take you very much out of your way. Um, beyond the, the the riding options, in more and more cities, we're building out uh, things that uh, aren't about taking passengers to places. So Uber Eats is increasingly available in about a dozen different cities where you can turn on the app, request a food option, a meal, uh, and get that delivered to you. Um, in a handful of cities, we have something called Uber Rush, which is a sort of intra-city delivery service where you can have a courier pick up a package for you and take it somewhere else. And so the basic options that most people will be familiar with are Uber X, Uber Pool, Uber Black. But increasingly across the world, we're building out options that not only figure out different ways to take people from point A to point B, but also work on delivering other things beyond just taking people to places. And Uber Pool is the least expensive option, obviously. And I, I think, at least currently, there's never any surge with Pool, right, Malcolm? So the way it works with Uber Pool is there actually is a surge price, but the difference with Uber Pool is you know the cost of your ride up front. So it factors in a couple of factors. It's both the surge pricing that's uh, available on X, but also uh, the transparency and uh, the certainty of uh, a guaranteed price. The way that Uber X and our other services work is that you are charged a base fare and then you're charged an additional amount based on each mile you drive uh, and how long the ride is. But with Uber Pool, you never have to question whether you're going to whether there's going to be additional traffic that's going to add to the cost. You don't have to do the math in your head. The upfront cost is the cost you're going to pay no matter how long the ride takes. And I often say that this is one of the best things to happen to blind people yet this century because of the convenience, the on-demand aspect of it, but also the price. It gets so inexpensive. For example, for me to go to the Sacramento airport from Davis in a taxi, it's 45 to $60. If you book ahead with your regular driver, you can get it for 45 bucks. With Uber, it's 20 to $23, half the price. So even if there's a surge, I'm still paying uh, no more than I would pay in a taxi, and I get what I think is much more reliable, friendlier, more professional service. We didn't mention Uber Access, and this is being piloted in various cities, and it may come or go depending on how it works out. But that's the idea that the drivers are highly rated. If you pick Access, then under that, there's one a button called assist and those drivers will have watched a video and have a, a little bit more familiarity with uh, helping people out in different situations i just like the fact that they're you're going to get a, a highly rated driver in, in good quality for sure and the other thing worth mentioning under that umbrella uber access product is the increasing amount of work we're doing around wheelchair accessible vehicles so in about a dozen different cities across the united states and a handful of cities outside the u.s we're piloting options and services that a 
allow you to call a wheelchair accessible vehicle. Now, the models vary a little bit based on where we are, and we're trying to figure out the one that makes the most sense. In some places, you'll actually call a wheelchair accessible taxi. In other places, we have partnerships with organizations that have excess supply of wheelchair accessible vehicles such that they have employees out on the road who are driving for the service. Um, but our goal is to build out the number of wheelchair accessible vehicle options we have. And as I think we figure out which of these models makes the most sense, I think you're going to see many more wheelchair accessible options across the country. I've been advising Uber on the app for about a year and a half uh, as a beta tester, and there's a couple other blind beta testers. So it's really nice to know that the app is 100% accessible, and if anything, as they add features, isn't accessible, it'll get fixed quite quickly because there's those of us using it regularly that get the apps before they go out to the general market, they can give the developers feedback and they're, they're very responsive about fixing these things. And just to note, the services that we've talked about here uh, in this interview, if you don't have them in your city, those services will be hidden on the app. You won't see them um, unless they are available in your location. Right. And if, if you want to know you're going to a city and you're wondering, hey, I wonder if Uber is available, you can put in a an app. Uh, an approximate destination in that city. You're going to Indianapolis. So you just put in Indianapolis Speedway or something and uh, it'll come up on the map and it'll say ride available within three minutes. And you know that there's access uh, when you get to that particular town. And you can do that for cities in other countries as well. Well, That's great. So, um, and this app is available for both iOS and Android, correct? Yes, and there's a blind beta tester for Android as well. It's perhaps not as mature as the iOS version in terms of people, blind people working on it, but uh, my understanding is that it's getting better. Who would they contact if they have any questions or any other um, questions or concerns? So if you're at the convention, you should look for either me or Lindsay. Again, we'll be at booth 11, but we'll also be roving around uh, in the days um, that it takes place. But if you're not able to find us at the convention, you should absolutely use the support function within the app. So as Mike mentioned earlier, you can go into help and you can write in about virtually anything you want to talk about, whether it's an issue with a ride, whether it's a broader issue with the app specifically, or if you want to just tell a story. Um, the in-app support function is really the best way to go about doing that. Thank you for being on uh, ACB Radio, and we'll definitely look forward to seeing you at the conference and convention. Thank you, Larry. Does your tie match your shirt for your date tonight? Are you dying to know what's in the picture one of your friends sent you? What are the heating instructions for your dinner tonight? Give the Bespecular app a try. Bespecular is an awesome new app on iOS and Android specifically developed for the visually impaired and deafblind. The Bespecular app is a fun, quick, and easy way to get answers to your everyday situations. Download the Bespecular app on the App Store or Play Store today. Want an awesome prize? Download the Bespecular app and come on over to Booth 38 to see if you want to Hello, everyone. This is Jeff Bishop. And I have the honor to interview one of our Emerald sponsors, Microsoft Corporation. Jenny Lay Fleury is the Chief Accessibility Officer for Microsoft, and she joins us right here on ACB Radio. Hello, Jenny. Hi there. Welcome to ACB Radio. And wow, there's been quite a bit of uh, stuff going on at Microsoft, and we wanted to give you an opportunity to come here and tell us all about it. So what's going on? Game on. Uh, well, you know, thank you for the opportunity. Um, we're really excited. 
uh, it's going to be a pretty amazing conference uh, from the, the run-up. Um, if I give you the quick sort of uh, update on Microsoft, and, and I'm probably new to most of your listeners as well, so maybe if I can uh, indulge for a second and give a, a little bit of an introduction. Um, I've been at Microsoft 11 years. Uh, I'm not from the States. I'm from the little small country across the pond over in the UK, but I've actually been living over here for coming up 10 years. Um, and I've been working on accessibility internally for some time. Uh, I chair the employee resource group at Microsoft, uh, DEF myself. And um, over the years, that, that interest and passion really just honestly grew. So I came out of industry and moved full-time into accessibility about six years ago. Uh, and then in January, I became the chief accessibility officer, which is a very humbling and fancy title. Um, and basically what it means is is really as, as Rob Sinclair moves off uh, to do another adventure in, in Microsoft, he's working on some consulting and sales um, functions for the company around accessibility. Uh, I've had the opportunity to come in and really build uh, a new team um, and really start to push what was already in motion, but really start to push some real buzz around accessibility and being humble to our past and the good and bad of our products really start to move those forward uh, and build the culture where that becomes, you know, kind of sustainable, durable, part of how we live, breathe and think. Um, so that's been really what I've been, been getting on with. Um, and I'm six months in. Wow. Has it, uh, has it gone by fast? Ha! <laughs> uh, a lot faster than I thought. Yeah. It's, yeah. I, yeah. it's like a I, rocket, I, isn't it? Yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> and drinking from that fire hose, I would say, in, in the first few months, uh, I there were a lot of emails. I got a lot of emails, and all of them just amazing. I just couldn't keep up with it, to be honest with you, in the beginning, because I think people are so righteously and dang passionate about the space and uh, you know wanted me to to really appreciate the opportunities for innovation for hiring for talent and also you know where we're good and bad in the products and just uh you know, really curious a lot of curiosity on what's going on with the products and um what's coming up absolutely well, well speaking about hiring uh you you guys have really started to do some really great things around inclusive hiring. You want to talk about that? Yes. It's a massive passion of mine. I, um, I, I'm kind of on borderline nerd level when it comes to employment statistics because I think they're so galling uh, when you have an unemployment rate that's double that for people with disabilities versus not. Um, you know, as, as working in a, a private company, that's a talent pool that people aren't tapping into. Um, and we know that there's some amazing talent out there. Um, and, you know, I've been lucky enough to have some of them join my team. Um, you know, people like Ann Taylor came last year from the NFB. Um, just a lot of just amazing people. So I think it's, it's an, an area of just ridiculous opportunity for Microsoft and also every other company in the industry. Uh, yeah, we've been doing some specific things, I think, with autism. We've had to ring fence that and approach that one separately due to the nature of autism. Um, and we're, we're pushing very hard on, on hiring people with autism into the company in the right way and supported in the right way. But also generally all disabilities and quite honestly uh, developers who have experience knowledge whether they're a parent advocate or a person with blindness or visual impairment are gold dust to us just gold dust uh, so we try to put everything on a website um, and put all those best practices up there so if you search on inclusive hiring Microsoft you will actually pull up 
our website, and I think we have 50 open roles now with accessibility in the JD. Uh, it just talks to some of the momentum happening at Microsoft, I think. That's awesome. Well, the product mm-hmm. groups have been really, really busy on the Windows side and on the Office side. you want to talk about that? Yeah, I think, you know, again, a lot of this work has been something that we've been moving on and really just taping, taking a lot of the feedback from people in the community, which was good and was bad. I mean, it was very, uh, it was a very humbling experience to just face the realism of what our products can or weren't enabling um, if I look back a year ago. Um, and so we've been learning a lot from that. And I think we, you know, we want to be, again, humble to the journey ahead, but a massive amount of traction is moving forward. And I think the key thing is that we're really goaling to be very transparent with those roadmaps. So actually in February, we published the full-year roadmap for Windows and the full-year roadmap for Office and specifically Office 365, which is where all of our efforts are going uh, forward, the perpetual license, the cloud, uh, which I know is is scary for some, but it is just a great opportunity for a technology company to be more nimble and quick um, with features and get them out to market. Um, and so each month, Office is releasing new features onto Office 365, and Windows is working incredibly hard on Narrator. Um, that's going to take a while. And, you know, we'll see some updates in the anniversary release, which is coming up this summer of Windows. Um, And uh, if you've played with it, you'll see the performance is significantly better. Uh, Some of the comments from our internal blind uh, community is is like, wow, I can't even keep up with it now, Uh, which it definitely wasn't the case six months ago. So it's incremental improvements that we'll be rolling out over the coming months and a, a big wave of releases coming just a few short weeks after your conference. Yeah, and not only that, but we're also seeing some work done on the developer side of tools to yep. uh, to really make uh, developers, uh, you know, people who want to get into computer science and MIS fields, uh, you know, be able to do that and, and really get engaged with Microsoft. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, you want to make it hard to make things inaccessible. I mean, that's really the goal. You've got to make it hard to make an inaccessible app. And that's not how it's been today. There's so much effort that goes into rendering things accessible. And yet the tooling, whether that's Edge and F12 developer tools um, or, you know, looking at website automation and and accessibility, there's so much that we can do long term to really drive and, and flick that bit. And in the meantime, really the guidance and um, and making sure that the education is about 3,000 hours of videos now uh, on the office side and a lot coming from the Edge team um, on what's coming through that sort of developer pipeline and product pipeline so that people can really get, get hold of what's going on. And I think the one piece of feedback that I have had is that you know, there has been this increased wave of uh, blogs and videos and articles coming out on accessibility from Microsoft, which is totally right and and connected to our mission. I mean, our mission is to empower people and organizations, and the company is really grokking to that. Um, but you know, people were getting, where do I find it? Where do I find it? So if you if you are curious to get up to date with anything and everything going on, we are making sure that everything we post actually gets either um, hosted from our accessibility blog or is cross-posted. Um, and that's uh, blogs.msdn.microsoft.com, WAC accessibility, if you want to go and have a gander. Um, and you know, just bookmark that site because that's where we'll be posting everything going forward. 
Absolutely. And you guys are making quite a presence at our convention this year. You want to talk about that a bit? <laughs> yeah, I'm. I am. Well, firstly, I have to humbly apologize. I will not be there. Um, I'm getting married, and apparently, uh, my my other half wasn't too comfortable with me moving that to your conference. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, forgive me for not being there. But yes, Clint, I'm excited that Clint Covington will be coming. Clint is a principal in office. We now have uh, leaders uh, like Clint, although none are as awesome as Clint, across all of the three engineering teams, as well as uh, on the hiring side, innovation side. We have a, a, you know, it's not just me. There is a really big team here at Microsoft. Um, but Clint has been working alongside me and many others on the partnership with ACB, um, which we see as just it's a beautiful thing, Jeff, and I'm not just saying that to butter you up. It, it really, really is. It's turned into a, a valuable partnership between Microsoft and ACB where you give us really good technical level feedback. Um, you help us prioritize the bugs and features. You've helped us even with conversations where we've stopped ship. Um, and you, on the basis of your feedback, you're impacting the the product roadmap. Um, and so we just, we really, we're really excited to come and talk about that. Um, and Clint will be on stage doing that, and also talking about the you, just really what's coming through uh, with ACB starting to use more of the Windows uh, and the um, Office platform products um, in coming months, and how we're going to use that as another learning opportunity and uh, take that that feedback back into engineering. So yes, Clint will do an awesome job. He doesn't have a British accent, um, but he is a local um, to where the conference is. So he'll, he'll, he's looking forward to it. Oh, we're really looking forward to it, too. And we are very honored by the partnership that, that uh, we have developed together. And uh, we're very thankful for you uh, working with us. And, and we think it's uh, just a great thing going forward. Well, Jenny, thank you so much for, for coming to ACB Radio and talking with all of us. And, you know, game on, right? <laughs> yes, yes, sorry. I, I, I think I started with that. Let's end with that. Game on. Thank you, Jenny. Take care. It's an amazing world. In an instant, you can shop for a trombone, check on weather, and meet new friends. That is, if you can access the Internet. NVDA is a free screen reader that helps people who are blind or visually impaired get online. The American Foundation for the Blind tells you how with Learn NVDA. Free video lessons that teach technology for work and play. Launch your tech adventure. Learn more at www.afb.org slash learn NBDA. Here is the schedule for Tuesday, July 5th. Beginning in the Nicollet Ballroom at 8 a.m. Entertainment, Callan Hendrickson, Flute, Hopkins, Minnesota. 8.30 a.m. Invocation, Pastor Russ Grigsby, Lebanon Lutheran Church, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Pledge of Allegiance, 2016 Scholarship Winners. 8.35 a.m. ACB Business. What? Oh, okay. 8.35 a.m. ACB Business. ACB Sponsor Recognitions, Marjorie Beeman. Advertising and Sponsorship Coordinator, Austin, Texas. Emerald Sponsor Presentation, Uber, 
Lindsay Ellen, Head Community Engagement, Washington, D.C., and Malcolm Glenn, Strategic Partnerships Manager, Washington, D.C., Ruby Sponsor Presentation, Humanware, Dominic Gagliano, Vice President, Sales Americas, Scottsdale, Arizona, Nominating Committee Report, Mike Adino, Chair, Malvern, New York, Constitution and Bylaws, John Huffman, Chair, Indianapolis, Indiana, Resolutions, Mark Reichert, Chair, Arlington, Virginia. Presiding Officer, John McCann, ACB Second Vice President, Tucson, Arizona. 9.15 a.m. 2016 ACB Scholarship Presentations, Reverend Michael Garrett, Chair, Scholarship Committee, Missouri City, Texas. 10.20 a.m. Break. 10.35 a.m. Emerald Sponsor Presentation, Microsoft Corporation Update. Clint Covington, Principal Program Manager, Office Redmond, Washington. 11 a.m., WIOA, The Reality of Rehabilitation in 2016 Panel. Michelle Capella McDonnell, Ph.D., Research Professor and Director, National Rehabilitation and Training Center on Blindness and Low Vision, Mississippi State University, Starkville, Mississippi. Mark Reichert, J.D., Director of Public Policy, Senior Advisor for Strategic Initiatives, American Foundation for the Blind, Washington, D.C. Lori Scharf, President, ACB of New York, Inc. Malvern, New York, and Anthony Stevens, Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs, American Council of the Blind, Alexandria, Virginia. 11.55 a.m. announcements. And that concludes the schedule for Tuesday, July 5th. Good morning and welcome. We are live with the Tuesday edition of the General Sessions of the 55th Annual American Council of the Blind Conference and Convention here in the Hyatt Regency Hotel in downtown Minneapolis, Minnesota. Weather's been very pleasant for the last few days, but enough about that. Uh, we'll get, uh, get you over to the live feed here as Callan is... Uh, playing her flute and doing a good job at it. somewhere or not. I don't know if I can hear it. Did what? I can't hear you. Oh, Rune Castle. Okay.
here anymore. Good job. Thank you. Good job. Good job. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you played it, yeah, it is. Okay. Yeah, what? You know I, I knew I you played it, but I wasn't sure. Robin, I need my cloth out of the... Where's my backpack? She's got a different way than you. She's got to go to work, and I've got to go back to Hopkins. Bring it over here. What time are you getting pizza? Uh, 9, 12. They don't open the vending thing until 11. 11? Anyone sure what else to do? Also, she's got to go to work. Did she? Oh, thank you. Who's got my flute? Who's got your flute? Where did I put? Oh, on my lap. Oh, jeez. I can't find my flute. It's been a long morning. Well, we didn't sleep last night, either one of us. We're gonna get the spit out of you. Hi. Are you gonna guys gonna be here tomorrow or not? Yeah, we'll be here tomorrow. What's going on tomorrow? She has the day off, and I can take the day off. Right? Do you get to go on Thursday? Why? They gave your money back to you? Because they have other people scheduled for the Thursday one. Well, I don't know why, because it's not, but it wasn't that bad last night or yesterday morning. John, you yeah. could set it right here by the podium. Yeah, all right, that sounds great. I could do that. You know, there's more room there probably on that side. Yeah. Why don't I pull this in a little bit? Um, 
I'll move it around there for you. All right, that's good. Who's there? This is Don. Don Cody. See right here. You must be impartial. I am. Okay, is that all right? That's fine. Don, appreciate it. No everyone <laughs> all right I want to say thank you to our um, talented music this morning from Kaylin Hendrickson from Hopkins Minnesota thank you is Pastor Grigsby here yes he is thank you hi um, I want to recognize Pastor Russ Grigsby from the Lebanon Lutheran Church here in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, hi, everyone. I was told to uh, pray a blessing over those going to the Twins game this evening. Uh, I, I'm a little concerned. I think perhaps the biggest blessing would be that it does get rained out. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and, and I can say that as a loyal Twins fan uh, being here, uh, welcome uh, to you. Thank you for this incredible opportunity uh, to speak briefly with you at your convention. I am gratefully here at the invitation of Colleen Kitagawa, 
whom I have had the privilege of knowing through the Minnesota Christian Fellowship of the Blind, a wonderful organization that welcomes me every year at their annual retreat in Osceola, Wisconsin, uh, where I hold my nose with all of the Packers fans. So, if, hey, I, I, okay, you know, I'm going to get booed out of this place before I even get to my talk here. If uh, any of my friends are here from the said retreat, a special hello. Well, the land of 10,000 dreams, I love this theme. I had the pleasure of going online and catching just a glimpse of the many initiatives and referendums this group is putting forward for our society. And all I can say is, wow, keep up the good work. You are making a difference. Don't give up. Keep pressing in. Keep dreaming. You are an inspiration to us all. Yes, as I was thinking about what to share today, I felt inspired to share a different type of dream that made a significant impact on my life and is the reason I'm actually here today. To set the stage, I was in college. I had no idea what to do with my life. I was in a fraternity. I was partying and living it up, living for myself. I was miserable on the inside. And one day, while napping between classes, between classes, that is, I had a dream. I saw an explosion. It was a mushroom cloud explosion, and there was shrapnel coming right at me. And in that moment, I knew I was going to die. It felt so real. It was horrifying. And in my fear, I cried out the very name I had just been using as a curse word that very day. Jesus! At the name of Jesus, the shrapnel stopped right in front of my face. I was not harmed. I was saved. When I woke up, I dropped to my knees, giving my life to the God who had saved me in my dream, acknowledging that he had saved my soul by dying for my sins on the cross. Since that time, I have had an advocate and a friend, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has helped me and enabled me to fulfill my dreams The Bible says, take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. That is my story. (laughs) What is your story? Have you given up on God? Because he has not given up on you. He loves you, and he desires to be in relationship with you just as he has with me for the past 17 years. Through Jesus Christ, we have the greatest source of hope. And hope enables dreams to be fulfilled. I encourage you to seek the hope found in Jesus. God bless you. All right. It's my pleasure to ask all of you to stand for the Pledge of Allegiance to be led this morning by our class of scholarship winners, the class of 2016, who are standing right behind me, all of them. All right, guys. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty, justice for all. You may be seated. I'm getting better at that. 
I get a lot of coaching now from all of you very helpful people. <laughs> all right. Is Marjorie Beeman in the room? She is. All right. Okay. This is the time when we get to recognize our sponsors, and we have two sponsors we're going to hear from this morning. Marjorie, it's a pleasure to work with you, and tell us more. We're going to hear from three. Three? Oh, great. Okay. You'll have to cue me. Okay. Good morning, everyone. I just wanted to make sure you were awake. I'm going to read the uh, regular individual sponsors first, and I must apologize. Yesterday I hadn't gotten this one, but ACB Families are a platinum sponsor of 250. Give them a hand. Now, I want you all to take note of that. I'm going to look for all the other affiliates to be a sponsor. You still have a few days to do that. Okay, our next ones I'm going to read are the gold, the 100, and we have 34. Glenn McCulley, Ursula McCulley, Tracy George, Carla Brushable, Janet Dickelman, John Sheehan, Harlow Pease, Scott Marshall, Sharon, oh, I pronounce it, Strakowski. In fact, I saw him at the airport. Uh, Adam Rushable, Grady Ebert, Joel Schneider, Ray Campbell, Karen Campbell, Katie Frederick, Mary Haroran. I pronounced them wrong, so you have to forgive me. Uh, Brian Charleston, Carlo Giuliano, Donald Thompson, Sandra Spalletta, Spalletta uh, Susan Glass, Karen Spry, Kim Charleston, Karen Gurry, uh, Douglas Hunsinger, Thomas Bergender, Rhonda Nelson, Harvey Miller, Alan Peterson, Sue Amateur, Dan Dillon, Greg Fowler, Jim Crotts, and Susan Bowes. Those are the 100. Give them a hand. Now I'm looking for the other ones. That must be what they gave me today. That's all I have on that. Now we will read our regular sponsors. And the a double diamond sponsor for 25000 is Google Ground Jewel Sponsor. Give them a hand. Vanda Pharmaceutical, ACB Banquet. Emerald Sponsor. 15,000. DQ Systems, Guide Dog Services, and International Cultural Exchange. <laughs> J.P. Morgan Chase, which you've heard they've also sponsored our leadership, but they've also sponsored your day at the conference on July the 8th. <laughs> Microsoft Conference Registration, and you'll hear from them this morning. Sprint, Conference Volunteer Services, and Afternoon ACB Radio Broadcast. Uber, Audio Visual Services, and we'll hear from them this morning. 
Verizon Information Desk and Decade of Dreams Auction. That's our Emerald sponsors. The next ones are our Ruby sponsors, the 10,000. We have Adobe Convention Program. Comcast ACB Exhibit Hall. Facebook Interpreter Services Deaf Blind. Humanware ACB Radio General Session Broadcast. You can hear from them this morning also. Regal Cinema Kids Explorer Club. Onyx Sponsor 5000. AT&T ACB Cafe. Buell Fund Recreation Zone. Charter Communications Performing Arts Showcase. And the Performing Arts Showcase is this evening. National Association of Broadcasters, ACB Marketplace. So a lot of you visit that marketplace. National Industries for the Blind, Scholarship Winners Reception and One General Session. VFO Freedom Scientific Optilect Exhibit Hall Guide. Those are all of the rubies. Now we have the Topaz, 2,500. ACB Lines, Scholarship Winners Travel. BOM, then we have the Coral Sponsors, 2,000. BOM USA, ACB Future Leaders and Outstanding Blind Student. Lane, Laney Farringold of Law Offices of Lane Farringold and Linda Dadarian and Megan Ryan of Goldstein, Borgen, Darian, and Ho. Audio Describe Film Night, which will be coming up. Randolph Shepherd Vendors of America, Scholarship Winners, Dinner, and Luncheon. Pearl Sponsors, that's the end of the coral. Pearl Sponsors, 1,000. Caption Max, ACB Cafe, July the 6th. That's tomorrow. Discover Technologies, ACB Cafe, July the 5th. So be sure to look for your coupon in your bag. Hymns Incorporated, ACB Cafe, July the 3rd. Lighthouse for the Blind Seattle High-Tech Workshop. Lua NLS Talking Book Narrator. Maxiade ACB Cafe, July the 4th. And that was yesterday. So those are our sponsors as of now, and I'm looking for more individual sponsors for tomorrow. Thank you, Madam President. Thank you. Tell me who the third person is when... So I can write it down. I don't have. I don't think I have a third one. Well, maybe yeah, I do. Microsoft is oh, okay. Got it. Got it. Thank you. All right. Well, now we have an opportunity to hear from a couple of a few of those sponsors with a little more information. And it's my pleasure um, to introduce to you a representative from Uber. I had an opportunity yesterday to participate in a focus group with these folks, and it was incredibly productive. I hope they found it so. So it's a pleasure for me to introduce to you Lindsay Ellen, who is head of community engagement for Uber from Washington, D.C., and her colleague, Malcolm Glenn, strategic partnerships manager, Washington, D.C. Thank you. Thank you, Kevin. Thanks. Malcolm, thank you. As you might imagine, this is not Lindsay. This is Malcolm. 
Good morning, everybody. Usually you have to ask twice. That was actually very good. Thank you all for giving me the opportunity to speak to you for just a couple of moments this morning. Uh, as I mentioned, I'm Malcolm Glenn, and I am on Uber's public policy team. And I focus specifically on community engagement and community engagement working with organizations that help underserved communities. So that traditionally means anyone who has had a hard time historically getting a ride or getting access to good and, and, and consistent work. And I'm going to talk to you all today specifically about what Uber and other ride-sharing services, as you might imagine, though, a specific emphasis on Uber, are doing to help the blind and low-vision community get around. So this is going to be a bit of an overview, a bit of a high-level look at Uber. And I'm sure some of you are Uber users in the room, but um, thank you. Um, but uh, for those of you who aren't, um, this is going to be especially important for you. And also, I just want to let you know that I'm going to be in the exhibit hall at booth 11 uh, later today. So feel free to come by and ask me questions um, as the day goes on. Um, so let's just start out very basically. What is Uber? Well, Uber is a ride-sharing service by which you can press a button on your, car, on your smartphone and get a ride. And our mission is actually quite simple. It's to provide transportation as reliable as running water for everyone, everywhere. And it's important to note that that's not how we started. We started because we had uh, a guy and his friend who couldn't get a cab in Paris. It was raining and they weren't able to hail a taxi. And so they went back to their home in San Francisco where ta taxi cabs also aren't especially good. And they said, what if we could come up with a technological solution to solve this problem? What if we could use our smartphones, which so many people have nowadays, and you could call a ride that way? Well, they, one of them was an entrepreneur, one of them was an engineer, and so together they came up with this idea. And at first it was just a couple of people, a handful of folks who had a handful of riders, and they would call those, those drivers on their phones and get a ride. Well, what they realized is that there was an amazing demand for this uh, across all populations, across all types of people, because getting access to safe and reliable and on-demand transportation has been a really difficult thing for a really long time for a lot of people. And so fast forward six years, and now Uber is operating in 400 cities in 70 countries. It's a global company, the only global ride-sharing company on the planet. And just for perspective, the product that most people are familiar with, which is UberX, the low-cost service where people drive their own cars and drive people around in them, that's actually only been around for four years. So in the span of four years, we've grown from just a handful of cities using black cars to 400 cities in 70 different countries. And the products vary city by city. UberX, as I mentioned, is the most popular one, but depending on where you are... Um, you have different offerings. So what are the benefits of using Uber? Why use Uber instead of paratransit or taxi or, or public transportation if you live in a city that has robust public transportation? Well, it's on demand. You can get a ride anytime you want. You literally press the button and within minutes a ride will come to you. It's affordable. In almost every case, it's cheaper than a taxi would be. And you use a GPS tracking device in every single car. So the GPS tracks where you're going to make sure you're not deviating from your route to make sure you're not being taken advantage of by a driver. And if that ever happens, you can write it to support and we'll take care of it. No more waiting outside for street hailing or, or standing out in the rain. 
if you're looking for uh, a cab to come. You could wait inside while you call the ride, and once the car gets there, then you can go outside and get right in. Um, and as I mentioned, it's available in 400 cities, so on every continent except for Antarctica, you can use Uber. <laughs> I don't know if many people... Is anyone from Antarctica here? Okay, good. I was hoping not. Um, one of the other benefits is there are no cash payments involved. Um, you don't have to worry about fumbling around with bills. You enter your credit card at the very beginning, and it is a seamless experience, a cashless experience every time you exit a vehicle. You can use expense labels if you so desire, so you can have a work account and a business account. I'm sorry, a work account and a personal account. Um, and at the end of every ride, you rate your driver, and so your driver is being held accountable, and furthermore, you're being held accountable because your driver is rating you. So this mutual accountability system is a really good way to make sure that um, the ride goes as well as it possibly can. And as I mentioned, if there are issues, and we certainly know that there oftentimes are, we encourage you to write into support because our support staff takes them very seriously and will deal with them. So I just want to mention um, that we work very closely with, I'm sure many of you are familiar with Mike May, who's the president and CEO of the Sendero Group. Um, unfortunately, he couldn't be here with us today, but I always like to quote one of the things that he says, and we work very closely with him at Uber, and, uh, and this is way more important coming from him than it is from me, and he always says, I believe Uber is the most significant advancement in independence for me and other blind people so far this country. And we know we're not perfect. We know we're not where where we need to be. And we recognize that there are still a whole host of issues around some people's Uber experience, specifically around service dogs. But what we are committed to is cutting down on those issues, communicating with our drivers as aggressively and extensively as possible their obligations in regards to service dogs, and making sure that the materials we provide to those uh, drivers are as clear and concise and straightforward as possible. And so we were thankful to have a conversation with some of you here yesterday um, where we showed some of those materials and you gave us some really good feedback that we're going to bring back to our, uh, our, our engineers and headquarters. And... It goes beyond just rides. Rides is the, is the sort of key component that most people are familiar with now, but we're going into new areas. In a number of cities, we have a new product called Uber Eats, which is uh, a sort of competitor with Seamless Web, Grubhub, traditional delivery services, whereby you can press a button, get a meal, and someone will bring it to you. We have something called Uber Rush in San Francisco, New York, and a couple other cities where if you need to get something across town in the middle of the day, you can have a bike courier come, pick up that package, and deliver it to someone else within that city within a matter of minutes or hours. Um, and in a number of cities, uh, including where I live in Washington, D.C., you have the opportunity to call an UberX with a car seat. So if you're with a child and you need a seat for that child while you're out, Uber can come with a car seat and, sh- and you can strap your kid into that car seat. There are many more products in that vein that we'll be rolling out over the coming weeks and months. So I just want to briefly go through the process by which you sign up for an Uber account. If you don't have one already, you download the app in the App Store. It works on both Android and iOS, iOS using VoiceOver and Android using TalkBack. Um, And you set up your account before you call your first ride. And importantly, if you've yet to take an Uber ride, there's actually a code that gives you a $15 off uh, your first ride. It's Access 2016. If you go into your settings and promotions, you type in Access 2016, and for your first ride, you can get $15 off. You enter your payment method, fairly simple. You can enter multiple credit cards for multiple accounts. 
Um, and one of the interesting things is you can also enter your emergency contacts. So you can enter in a handful of people or you can give Uber access to your entire phone book that will allow you, while you're in a ride, to share your estimated time of arrival with anyone you know. So they can actually track your ride in real time. You send them a simple text, they click a link, and they can track your ride as you're going to your destination in real time. So it's a really great safety feature that allows people uh, to make sure that we hold our drivers as accountable as possible. You could also enter favorite locations like your, your home address or your work address such that you don't have to type it in every single time you're going where you're going. Once you go through the setup process, you pick which type of car you want. Uber X, again, is the most common one. You can use Uber XL, which gives you six seats instead of the traditional four seats. And in a number of cities, we're introducing a product called Uber Pool, which is actually a carpool ride. So you fi- we find someone who's going approximately the same place you're going, and you share the ride. And one of you gets dropped off first, one of you gets dropped off second. And as a result of having two or more people in the car, you actually get a discount on your ride. And now 20% of our rides across the globe are Uber pool rides. So it's a really exciting new innovation that we're introducing in a number of places. You enter your pickup address, where you are, where you want the car to come. And then you look at the estimated time of arrival based on where you are. Usually just a couple of minutes in almost every location where we operate. From there, you enter your destination, where you want to go. You confirm your trip. And again, within a matter of minutes, the car comes. And so... It's a really simple experience. Now, certainly if, uh, if you are a blind user uh, or someone with low vision, there are, are additional set of steps that I think it's important to take. And Mike May always encourages um, folks to keep in mind a couple of tips and tricks. And we have USB drives actually at our, at our exhibit booth down in, down in the exhibit hall with podcasts and other accessible materials that can help you understand how the process works in depth. So some of the tips... Uh, text your driver. It's, it's, it's often encouraged that you would text your driver ahead of time to let them know, uh, hey, I'm the person with the cane, I'm the person in the red shirt, I'm the person with the dog standing next to the blue house. He always encourages folks to stand in a visible location, um, to hold your cane or your dog visibly. Um, and it's, it's oftentimes prudent to, because when you get uh, matched with an Uber um, driver, you get the name of that driver, you get their rating, and you get their the the model of their car and you also get their license plate number so it might be worth mentioning to someone if there's someone nearby who's cited to say hey the first three digits of this license plate are xyz look out for an xyz car and importantly before you get in the car you can always confirm that it's the right driver by asking them what their first name is people oftentimes ask about the safety considerations for the platform it's important to note that all of our drivers go through a robust and rigorous background check um, As I mentioned before, you can share your destination and your ETA with anyone mid-ride, which is a really great way to make sure that someone else knows where you're going and and when you're going. Um, It's important, as I mentioned, to ask the driver what their first name is. Um, And you can use your own GPS if you want to just make sure that they're following the route that you deem most appropriate. Um, and confirm where you are before you get out. Hey, I'm, on Bleak, is, I'm, I'm supposed to get dropped off on Bleecker Street. Is this Bleecker Street? Just to make sure, because a lot of folks are using GPS services that are not always as reliable as you know, the thoughtfulness of a person. As I mentioned, reporting problems is so, so key to improving the service. I know that there have been a number of issues around service dogs and denials in that respect. Um, We take those instances exceptionally seriously, and we actually have a team that is specifically committed to accessibility issues. So if you go into the settings um, and you go into help, you can actually report a problem specifically around accessibility or an accessibility issue, specifically around a service dog issue, and that goes to a team that 
concerns themselves exclusively with these issues and can expedite the process of making sure that there's a resolution for any problem that you encounter. And again, I just want to express to you our commitment, our renewed commitment to making sure that all of our drivers have all of the information that's going to make them aware of their obligations. We obviously have room for improvement, so I encourage you to give us your feedback, um, your uh, guidance, and your, um, your, your very thoughtful advice on how we can make the service better. Um, and we are excited to be here. We're excited to talk to you in the exhibit hall. And please let me know down there throughout the day if you have any questions. Um, thank you to Kim. Thank you to Eric. Thank you to ACB for the opportunity to be here. And we look forward to improving the product for everyone across the world. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right, we're going to hear from another one of our sponsors. Um, it's a pleasure to introduce someone who's spoken to us before, who's a, a good friend and um, colleague in the field. It's a pleasure for me to rec introduce you to Dominic Gagliano, Vice President of Sales Americas in his new location, Scottsdale, Arizona, representing Humanware. Thank you, thank you. Uh, thanks for the kind introduction and a good morning to all of you. Uh, it was a big move for me to go from Chicago, which is a city I love, to the desert. Uh, and I've been, been warned about snakes and scorpions and now monsoons. <laughs> but uh, anyway, it's my new home and uh, I'm enjoying it. And uh, it's also a pleasure once again to be a, a Ruby sponsor uh, this year. I'd like to take just a few minutes to talk about the changes we've seen in the assistive technology uh, field over the past few years. And certainly our industry has certainly grown and evolved in different ways. Uh, some of you, uh, or most of you, will remember people like Dean Blasey, Ted Henter, uh, the founder of JAWS, or Henter Joyce, Jim Fruchterman with Arkenstone. And many, many of these companies were born in the late 80s, uh, including Humanware. I think it was 1988. Uh, and now they've merged together to become large public groups or companies owned and managed by investment firms and large corporations and, of course, expect profitability. <laughs> the leading manufacturers of blindness and low vision technologies have needed to restructure and revise their plan for the future to position themselves in this evolving arena. Uh, Humanware led the way in October of 2013. We established a strategic partnership and became part of a very large mainstream group called SLR, uh, who is now our major shareholder. SLR is the leading manufacturer of ophthalmic lenses and has revenues in excess of seven billion dollars over 60,000 employees. Uh, that's pretty remarkable considering an AT company is part of that this, these days. Um, and their, their mission is to improve life by improving sight. SLR covers 96% of the population with corrective lenses, but it was only serving less than 2% of people who are blind or low vision. So their CEO immediately concluded that part of their mission was to be involved with humanware, uh, part of the vision care program, and to serve people with blind and, uh, who are blind and visually impaired. Uh, now, in turn, Humanware with SLR as an investor and partner is in a much greater and stronger position to grow and bring you better products and innovation to key, 
keep up with today's technology's fast pace. pace. Excuse me. Uh, part of this transition is blending mainstream and assistive technology. Over the past few years, we've witnessed mainstream companies begin to make their products more accessible for all. Some of these companies have done a good job and are currently being used by many of you in the room. But in many cases, efficiency and productivity are left behind when mainstream companies try to do everything for everyone. That's why until now, assistive technology has been somewhat com competing and challenged by mainstream products. At Humanware, we no longer think it's simply just one or the other. We believe that we can take the best of both worlds and blend them together to offer the best productivity tools ever. That is what we've done with the Prodigy Connect, a portable low vision device using a Samsung tablet with OCR and magnification, and this is what we've envisioned with our new Braille Note Touch. A blending and marriage of both efficient and accessible technology built on open, popular, mainstream platform. The Prodigy Connect and Braille Note Touch are examples of how we can enhance and improve on the built-in accessibility of these products, but also make them more intuitive and efficient. It all started three years ago when Humanware and Google collaborated to create and introduce a groundbreaking game changer in our industry. The result of the Braille Note touched the world's first and only Google certified Braille tablet. Humanware invested over $4 million in the development of the touch, taking three years and involving a team of 20 electronic and mechanical engineers, industrial designers, software developers, quality control teams, and more. Our goal with this Braille Note Touch project was to design a product that united and incorporated the efficiency and best features of the previous Braille Notes and Keysoft with the power and connectivity and modern universal design of mainstream tablet. We approached Google and shared with them our vision to design the world's first certified Braille tablet. Google saw the value in unifying the efficiency of assistive technology with their platform and signed us up to be the first device manager. However, we are not going to have any exceptions for us. We were going to be called a Google partner. We were going to need to abide by the same regulations and pass the same leads tests, I'm sorry, as, as any other hardware partner as Samsung or HTC. During the certification process, the touch had to pass almost 25,000 automated tests, the same tests that any other partner has to pass. I'm excited to tell you that after three years of collaboration and development, user testing validation BrailleNote Touch has begun to ship as the world's first Google-certified tablet. So what are the things that make it different from other tablets? Keysoft is not just the same familiar software suite, but has completely rewritten word processor, planner, email, internet browser, and book reader. But now it also functions to provide a full user experience when using the BrailleNote Touch. Keysoft controls everything that is spoken to you as you interact with the tablet, and of course displays perfect Braille translation that the Braille Note has been known for years. Efficient first-letter navigation instead of endless searching and swiping on a screen. Access to Google Play Store and the ability to download thousands of accessible popular apps. Access to Google Drive, Google Docs, and Dropbox. 
a calendar that syncs with Microsoft Exchange and other email clients, a new Braille-optimized Victor Stream app to read your favorite books, magazines, and magazines, even watch Netflix or YouTube videos on the screen and share them with your friends. And now we soon will announce, uh, which is being announced today, the KNFB Reader app that will be provided, that will provide instant print to Braille on the touch. So when everyone expected that a note taker was quickly becoming something of the past, we are now suddenly hearing something uh, quite different. This I received a number of emails when we we launched the product and. Uh, some of them said, this device bridges proprietary mainstream technology, which, of course, is where I think technology needs to go. This is going to revolutionize Braille note-taker and make tablets relevant for Braille users. It's the only mobile device using Duxbury Braille tables. It's the only mobile device to provide first-letter navigation anywhere with Android. And it's the only mobile device to allow for accurate Braille screen input. This is the technology that becomes very useful in the classroom and workplace setting and is both powerful and easy to learn. And with the announcement of the new Romeo and Juliet embossers, blind students and professionals can have Braille from tablet to hard copy. Pretty exciting. So I hope you come and see that. Humanware is, again, uh, providing uh, support for the ACB auction by providing five Victor Reader streams. Don't buy them from us. Buy them from ACB. <laughs> uh, we have a checker breeze. And I know uh, this young lady sitting next to me, uh, I told her to go after the Brilliant 32. That's there. I think Mark got it last year. <laughs> so there's a Brilliant 32. And then we have spectacular pricing on the stream at 299 and also very good pricing on the Apex 32 and 18. So please come and visit us uh, and meet our team, Kevin Hughes, Michelle Pepin, Chris Grabowski, who is helping us, and also Jerry Coons. Thanks again. Have a great conference. Thank you, Dominic. Thanks. Thanks so much. (laughs) Thank you. All right. We have a couple business items. I'd like Mike Godino to come to the podium, and we'll be followed by John Huffman with some Constitution and bylaw issues. So, Michael Godino will be presenting the report of the nominating committee. Thank you, Madam Chair. The nominating committee did meet last night. We did our business. Unfortunately, we are not complete. (laughs) Um, I'd like to first thank the uh, nominating committee representatives for uh, coming and doing what we had to do. I really appreciate it. We had some hard work to do. And a special thanks to uh, Nancy Becker and Lane Waters for the work that they did in keeping the statistics and calling the roll. Thank you very much. Um, We had to select candidates for the slate to be presented on Friday. Um, This year, uh, we had three incumbents and two open seats on the board, and uh, three uh, uh, positions available on the BOP, uh, one incumbent and two open seats. Um, The committee met last night, and uh, we did select uh, Jeff Bishop, 
uh, incumbent filling a part, partial seat for the last couple years, two years, I believe, last year, one year, uh, for uh, John McCann. And uh, we did select Jeff Bishop to uh, the slate. And Jeff is from Tucson, Arizona. He is an IT accessibility uh, um, analyst for the University of Arizona. Next, uh, we selected Sarah Conrad, an incumbent to the board. She has one year left, or one term left. And um, Sarah is from uh, Madison, Wisconsin, and she is a patient advocate at the Center for Patient Care in Wisconsin, and uh, she's also a full-time student, law student. So she's a busy young lady. Uh, next, another incumbent, uh, Dan Spoon. <laughs> Dan is an incumbent from Orlando, Florida, and he is a retired uh, program manager from Seaman Energy, and uh, he is also the third representative on the slate. Uh, the next two are... Um, was selected to fill the two open seats. Um, the committee selected Denise Colley from Lacey, Washington. I didn't get my cheer that I thought I was going to get. <laughs> she is a retired director for the state of Washington. And finally, let me get this right. <laughs> Tiffany Jolliffe. <laughs> Tiffany resides in Arlington, Virginia, and she's a program specialist for the Department of Labor, Office of Disability Employment Policy. So I want, I want to thank everybody for that work and, and getting those selected. On the uh, BOP... Um, we had, as I said, we had uh, two open seats and one incumbent. We were unable to fill the two open seats. So we're going to have to do some serious work on Friday and uh, try and get those seats filled. We need to get some nominees and get some elections for them. But the uh, slate of offices, uh, the slate of uh, representatives to the BOP, the uh, nominating committee selected Doug Powell from Falls Church. <laughs> Virginia, and Doug is a trainer for the National Industries for the Blind. And I just want to thank everybody for the work that we did last night, and uh, Madam Chair, that is the report. Thank you. Thank you, Michael, and thank you to the committee for your deliberations. Um, regarding the candidacy, um, tonight at 545 is the candidates forum in the Mirage Room. And um, as you heard from Mike and the nominating committee, there are vacancies, there are opportunities to serve ACB on the Board of Publications. Um, seek out anyone from the Board of Directors or the Board of Publications if you'd like to know more about the responsibilities, the duties, the work, um, we need people to serve in these roles. So there will be work on Friday for us to make sure that we fill 
all those vacancies with capable, qualified people. All right. Next, I want to recognize John Huffman, chair of the Constitution and Bylaws Committee for his first um, report to the convention. On. We need uh, the secretary's mic. I think they're sharing. Okay. Okay. I think we're live now. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Madam President. Good morning, ACB. Good morning to all those following us uh, by media, by ACB radio in particular. Thank you. On behalf of your Constitution and Bylaws Committee, uh, I can report that the deadline for the submission of proposed amendments to the Constitution and Bylaws passed at midnight last night. I told you that we had four items as of yesterday. That remains still the case. And uh, time permitting, I will get through a few first reads. The first proposal, which we've identified as Proposal 2016-1, proposes to amend the first section of Article 11, Article 11 of the Constitution, which is entitled Amendments, by replacing the word session with the word meeting in the first sentence. So the current language reads as follows. Article 11, Amendment. This Constitution and bylaws may be amended at any regular conference and convention of ACB, provided that such amendment has been presented in writing to the Constitution and Bylaws Committee before the end of the first day following the day of the roll call session of the conference and convention. The proposed language, uh, what the, how the Constitution would read if this amendment is approved, uh, would be Article 7, Amendments. This Constitution, or Article 11, excuse me. I've got to relearn my Roman numerals. Um, this Constitution and bylaws may be amended at any regular conference and convention of ACB, provided such proposed amendment has been presented in writing to the Constitution and Bylaws Committee before the end of the first day following the day of the roll call meeting of the conference and convention. And I have a second one which I can read if time permits. It's uh, about the same length. Uh, at least it takes up about the same amount of space on the page. Proposal 2016-2 would amend bylaw 6, committees, section 8, conference, uh, excuse me, Conference and Convention Program Committee, uh, the fifth sentence of that bylaw, by striking the word session at the end of the first sentence. It currently reads bylaw six, committees, uh, section, subsection H, Conference and Convention Program Committee, and it reads, would read the following, uh, excuse me, I'm sorry. <laughs> Program committee. Uh, the committee shall recommend um, to the president appropriate topics and 
speakers to be included as part of the general conference and convention program sessions. That's, that's how it currently reads. If the proposed amendment is approved, bylaw 6, committees, section 8, conference and convention program committee would read, the committee shall recommend to the president appropriate topics and speakers to be included as part of the general conference and convention program. Uh, the next one is somewhat longer. Uh, I, yes. Not you. There's two, there's two Johns up here. I said John and I had men jumping up. Yes? Did you want Did you want the other John? Um, I'd like to do the other two tomorrow if that's all right. So That'll we be can fine. stay on schedule. And did you provide the background as to where these recommendations came from? Uh, yes, I can. Uh, these, all four of these recommendations actually come from the Constitution and Bylaws Committee. They are based on uh, input from our parliamentarian who pointed out, uh, and, and our own uh, researchers confirmed, that over the years we have tended to use some words uh, synonymously which in parliamentary procedure, as defined by Robert's Rules of Order, which is the parliamentary authority that we go by, uh, have separate and distinct meanings. Uh, and I, I admit, there's a level at which even to me this sounds a little esoteric, but um, you know, consistency is a good thing, following our constitutional, uh, following our constitution, our, our parliamentary authority is a good thing, making our documents harmonize with that. Uh, and so that's basically the, the background that underlies these. Thank you, John. And we'll hear the other um, proposed amendments tomorrow. Appreciate that. All right. Um, it's my pleasure to introduce to you the presiding officer for today's session, our second vice president, John McCann from Tucson, Arizona. Thank you, John. Thank you so much, Madam President. It's an honor to be here. Um, and um, to quote, I, was it Farner who did it? You know, it feels like the first time. And to paraphrase Bonnie Raitt, if it feels like the first time, it's because it is. Um, so be gentle with me. Um, I, I've done some administrative litigation. I've been in courtrooms. I've done all this stuff. But this, this is still a little bit daunting. And I'm humbled to be here. Um, all that good stuff. Now, I need to turn away for a second. Are we introducing Clint? This one? No. Oh, okay. Okay. It's my pleasure at this time. See, I had to talk to Madam President. She knows what's going on. I don't. I'm kind of like the, I'm kind of like the wind-up doll. You know, I was at the Bits Mixer last night. And I, and I swear I didn't have too much to drink, you know? Okay, don't go there, they're telling me. They're telling me not to go there, that's good. No, no, not good. It is my pleasure at this time to introduce my esteemed colleague, someone for whom I have a great deal of respect, great guy, sorry to see him go off, go off the board, but, you know, life changes and things go on. Uh, Mr. Michael Garrett to introduce the scholarship class of 2016. Thank you, John, for that introduction. Good morning, ACB. 
Well, your ACB scholarship committee has done it again. I don't know what to say about them. They have selected another awesome class of scholarship winners. But, but not only that, not only that, you get a double treat today. Because CCLVI, their scholarship committee, has also selected an equally awesome class. In, f- <laughs> In fact, you may even recognize a few names. So we know that they're very awesome. <laughs> so at this time, I want to bring to the podium Miss Lindy T- L- Lindsay Tilden to present to you the CCLVI scholarship winners. All right. There's the mic. Good morning, ACB. All right. Thank you very much, uh, Michael, for allowing CCLVI to um, have our scholarship winners up here and present them as well. Um, it's very exciting for me to be up here presenting scholarship winners, especially today this year, because uh, nine years ago in 2007 was my very first ACB convention here in Minneapolis. So I'm thrilled to be back and presenting our winners. I'd very much like to thank my CCLVI scholarship committee members. You may notice that we didn't present any winners to you last year. In 2015, we had some significant website difficulties, and we're very grateful to Robert Spangler, our current webmaster, who rebuilt our website basically from scratch. Um, So we do have today both our 2015 winners who were selected in August last year, as well as our 2016 winners. Uh, I'll first thank my committee members, Leslie Spoon, Kathy Farina, Alan Casey, Sarita Kimball, of course, Fred Scheigert, Jim Yurak, and Bianca Knight. For our 2015 scholarship winners, each year we give uh, three scholarships, one to an entering freshman, one to a current undergraduate student, and one to a graduate student. From 2015, we have one of our three winners here today, and I'll introduce him in a moment. Uh, First, I'll tell you a little bit about our freshman and undergraduate winners. Our freshman winner for 2015 uh, was Andrew Shaw, who is from Rybrook, New York and is attending the University of Michigan studying economics and business and has a high interest in assistive technology. Our undergraduate winner from 2015 is a familiar name. She was our freshman winner in 2014 in Las Vegas. Stacy Manella from Randolph, New Jersey, who is attending Dartmouth College studying biology and ethics with plans to go on to veterinary school and is uh, involved as a Paralympic skier as well as uh, Dartmouth's equestrian team. 
All right, I'll now introduce our uh, graduate winner who's here, um, also a familiar name, Antonio Vega, is <laughs> originally from Miami, Florida, and now in Hawaii. He, he'd recently completed his uh, graduate degree in Japanese linguistics at the University of Hawaii at Manoa, and has plans to go on to teach Japanese at the university level and has become quite involved in his uh, affiliate in Hawaii. So I'll introduce Antonio. All right. Good morning, everyone. Um, I'll try to be brief here. But as uh, Lindsay mentioned, yeah, I was in Las Vegas two years ago. I was a uh, once again, a Fred Scheigert scholarship winner, and uh, also I was an ACB scholarship winner at that time. I was very happy and proud to be there, and I'm once again happy and proud to be here. So two years ago, I was at a podium much like this, and uh, I hadn't even moved to Hawaii. I didn't even have a place there, and I was unsure about exactly how things were going to go. Uh, after two years of many stressful days and nights and some sleepless nights and some moments of wondering if I'd really be able to finish all of this, uh, I'm here and I've graduated. I graduated last month and I'm, I'm happy to be here with my master's degree. So, uh, of course, I'd like to thank everyone for um, their support, the financial support of the scholarship, um, ACB, CCLVI, of course, the Fred Scheigert Scholarship Committee, Mr. Fred Scheigert himself. Uh, of course, the financial support has been a great help. But the financial support means something more. It means that the people that selected me believed in my goal. It means that they thought my goal was worthy of being rewarded and supported. And that has been great motivation throughout these past two years, and it continues to be. So uh, thank you to everyone that supported me, of course, HAB and all the scholarship committee members and my friends and my family. So thank you very much. All right, our, now on to our um, 2016 winners, who we have all three of them here this year. We're delighted. Our, I'll start with our freshman winner, uh, who is from Elizabeth, Indiana. She uh, will be attending Columbia College in Chicago, studying acting and pursuing a minor in fiction writing. Um, please welcome uh, Samantha Mayberry. Okay, hi everyone. <laughs> um, I would just like to start by thanking everyone for this amazing opportunity and thanking Mr. Fred Scheigert, of course, and CCLVI for selecting me to be a recipient of this scholarship, without whom I might not be able to attend my dream college. So as was said, I'll be pursuing a career in acting, and I know that sounds a little bit vague and can seem impossible or difficult or even silly to some people, so I'm going to tell you one of the many reasons why I'm choosing acting to pursue. So I moved from a very small school to a very large school, and I felt very alone and lost and not sure what I was going to do with myself, and so I became involved with the theater program at my new school. 
And as soon as I stepped into that theater, I knew that I had found my niche. And um, it was an incredible group of people that I had become a part of that really cared about everyone involved, and they were my family. So that kind of brings me back to this moment here, and um, the, the experience of being at this conference is so incredible. I can't even describe it. Um, It's so great to be among people who understand what it's like to have low vision or no vision. And um, I just want to thank all of you for this amazing opportunity and have a great rest of your day. Our undergraduate winner this year is from Cumming, Georgia. He's a current undergraduate student at the University of Georgia studying Japanese language and literature. You'll notice that we'll have, we have a, a bit of a trend this year with Japanese. Um, he and Antonio have had a lot to talk about. Yes. <laughs> In Japanese, yes. Um, He's involved on the Speakers Bureau at, his, at the university's Office of uh, Dis- Disabled Student Services um, and has said that he has um, plans to go on to law school, but this week has been sharing that he may be changing that to my field of speech pathology, so I'm very excited. Um, so whichever route he goes, we're um, quite pleased to introduce uh, Tommy Woodyard. Hello, ACB and CCLBI. So, as Ms. Tilden stated, I am Thomas Woodyard, a very proud student at the University of Georgia, and I am thinking about double majoring in Japanese and communication disorders so I can do speech pathology or I could change and flip-flop and go back to law. I'm really keeping everything open for right now. I'm trying to not shut anything out. But I would like to thank... Uh, Mr. Shigert and CCLBI for giving me this generous scholarship, as well as ACB and ACB students for supporting me throughout the entirety of my freshman year. And I would just like to include by saying, go dogs! Woo, woo, woo! <laughs> Thank you, Tommy. All right, and last but certainly not least is someone who is absolutely no stranger to ACB. She is, is and has been very involved in the organization. Um, she is from Madison, Wisconsin, and is attending the University of Wisconsin in Madison for law and public policy, uh, fields which she is passionate about due to her experiences as a uh, person with low vision in education and health care. Please welcome Sarah Conrad. <laughs> Good morning. You know, I wear a a lot of hats in this organization and leadership and membership, but it is truly an incredible honor to be sitting with this amazing group of scholarship winners this morning. I want to take this opportunity to thank Mr. Fred Scheigert and the CCLVI for this incredible honor. Thank you so much for your encouragement. Um, It really helps um, to feel the support throughout um, this tough journey of law school and as I pursue my master's as well. I'm pursuing a career in special education law and policy work. 
I'm not exactly sure what my career will look like, but it has been through my involvement in ACB that I've realized my passion for advocacy. During undergrad, I did honors research um, where I got to see a lot of the challenges that individuals faced. As a student growing up um, with a disability, I certainly saw firsthand some of the issues that we have um, in special education, but I realized that there are other students with other disabilities who also um, have unique challenges. I worked with students who literally had no voice, no way to advocate for themselves. When I did my honors research in undergrad, I um, specifically um, got to research um, how individuals were kept out of music and art and physical education and other important um, inclusive opportunities. And it led me to um, apply to law school and, and pursue um, my master's in public policy as well um, so that I could dig deeper and so that I could pursue advocating for more inclusive educational practices. While I can't obviously take the time to thank everyone who su supported me by name, I do want to take this opportunity to thank two individuals in ACB who have um, mentored and supported me along the way. Um, and those individuals are John McCann and Jeff Tom. Thank you so much for um, writing letters of recommendation for me, answering all my crazy questions about admissions for law school, and for encouraging me, cur encouraging me through my first year of law school. Thank you so much to ACB, CCLVI, and Mr. Fred Scheigert. I am so honored to belong here in ACB. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you, everyone. I look forward to seeing you all again uh, next year in Reno. And I'll turn it back over to Michael Garrett. I told you what an awesome what an awesome experience before I bring up the uh, ACB scholarship winners I want to I have some thank yous I want to to give out too especially to the uh, scholarship committee uh, let me see if I can do this from memory I should we work with we work together so I, I should be able to do this um, Denise Colley, Susan Glass, Rebecca Bridges, Don Coors, I'm doing this by memory, uh, Valerie Stan Stannard, uh, and Sarah Conrad, whom we just heard, uh, Sharon Strakowski, Shelley Hart, Alan Benson, Kathy Schmidt Whitaker, Gilly Presley, and Michael Graffitt. I did, I did mention Valerie. <laughs> that is your scholarship committee. Thank you all. And I, I want to I give a special thanks to Don Coors. Uh, some of you may know that his wife, Jerry Coors, a few weeks ago uh, fell and broke her femur and cracked her hip. But Don is here with us helping out as he usually does. So I want to give a special thanks to Don. I also want to thank our sponsors, uh, ACB Lions, NIB, and of course, RSVA, for their support in sponsoring our events. And, 
and of course our staff, ably led by the one and only Lane Waters. And a lady who I talked to a lot during scholarship season, Miss D. Theon. And guys, what would we do without Janet Dickelman? Thanks to all of you for all of your support and, and bringing our scholarship winners here. Now, let's move on. Our first winner comes to us from Wayland, Massachusetts. She's the winner of the Bay State Scholarship. Um, she is attending MIT. <laughs> where she is pursuing a degree in uh, mechanical engineering. Now, she's already paying it forward because she has already developed two products for the visually impaired and a prosthetic product for people with disabilities. She is Elaine Phillips. So I just wanted to say um, I'm very excited to be here in Minneapolis and highly honored to be, re to be receiving this scholarship. Uh, it really means a lot to me to have some support through college thanks to ACB and the Bay State Council. Uh, as, you, as a rising sophomore at MIT, I am going into STEM, which can be a difficult field for blind people to excel in. But I am ready to continue facing whatever challenges pop up, and I hope you are too. I believe the bar should be set high because we really are all capable of really amazing things when we put our minds to it. Thank you. All right. Our next, our next winner uh, is not able to be with us today. Jack Duffy, pretentious. He's the winner of the Kelly Cannon Scholarship. He hails from southeastern Massachusetts. He will be attending, and I hope I get this right, um, Worcester Polytechnic. School of Engineering, uh, he'll be pursuing a double major in mechanical engineering and robotics. But he couldn't pass up the opportunity to uh, go out of the country for a, an internship. So we welcome Jack. <laughs> this next winner is here. And she is uh, the winner of the Buckley Schechter Scholarships. She, uh, we, we combine a couple of them every now and then. 
just to make the purse a little sweeter. But uh, she hails from uh, Benita, California, where she's attending San Diego State, uh, majoring in communications arts and minoring in uh, psychology. Ms. Larice Diamond. Good morning, ACB. First, I want to thank the Buckley Foundation and the Schechter. Schechter. That's what I said, Schechter. (laughs) Thanks to them, I have some funds to help me complete my goals. I am a junior at San Diego State, and I am proud to say that I was chosen as a scholarship recipient out of all of the applicants who applied. We up here were selected. And it's not an easy process. I just wanted to share with you how difficult it can be to write this essay they want you to write first and then go through this telephone interview process. Twice for me. Good grief. <laughs> okay, you, you have, I had to put all of my sparkling personality <laughs> and wonderful characteristics into an essay that demonstrated my intelligence and warmth. All in 700 words. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it was... It was really a fun challenge, and I'm just so honored to have been chosen. And the interview process with Sharon Strakowski, who first called me to, to tell me that I was in the running, it was so exciting. <laughs> and she said, we're going to interview, there's going to be three people. And so I said, okay, I have to put on my best personality for the phone. Okay. So I'm like, okay, drink coffee or not, um, eat or not, play a game of chess before, so I sound really smart, I don't know. <laughs> it was, it turned out well, and I'm so happy that the scholarship committee had the good sense and discernment to select me, <laughs> and I hope that I will be worth their investment. Thank you. Hi, John McCann. I have to take a picture for my Facebook page. This uh, this next this next uh, recipient, uh, I hope she forgives me because last year I skipped over her and 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 uh, and uh, uh, we had to uh, award hers at the very end of the presentation. 
But she is the winner of a very special uh, scholarship this year. A few months ago, I got a call uh, from uh, some folks wanting to uh, leave a scholarship or award a scholarship in memory of Marsha Dresser. And so this, this scholarship is in memory of Marsha Dresser. And I said, you know, I want in on that also. So our winner this year is Christian Steele from Burlington, Iowa. She's uh, attending Western Governors University, where she sports a 4.0 grade point average. She's studying special education, minoring in elementary education. Now, she's, she's, a, she's a lady after my own heart because one of her favorite things to do is have backyard barbecues. <laughs> but here's, here's one of her goals, and I think this is so important and reminds us all of Marcia. She states that she wants to have an, a positive impact in the future lives of her students. Ms. Christian Steele. First, I want to say congratulations and thank you to all the members and volunteers for putting on such a great convention this year. And I would also like to thank the scholarship committee for selecting me for the Marsha Dresser Scholarship. I've been told that she is a remarkable woman and I am truly honored and grateful for this award and I will do my best to earn the honor. Thank you. another very interesting lady uh, who is the winner of the Arnold Sadler Scholarship. She is from Urbana, Illinois. I knew the Illinois folks would say something. (laughs) She She is pursuing her Ph.D. in sociology uh, with a focusing, or I'm not sure if this is a minor, or a focus on women and gender in in a uh, in a global perspective. 
One of the interesting things about her, well, she's, she sports a 3.89 GPA, but at uh, the, the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign. But one of the interesting things about her is that she, throughout her career, has made 18 trips to Cuba for professional and academic purposes. <laughs> Very interesting lady, Miss Kathleen Ernst. Uh, thank you very much. Good morning, everyone. I would like to uh, extend my thanks to the Arnold Sadler Scholarship for its generosity and recognition of my academic pursuits. I also want to thank the Scholarship Committee for finding me worthy uh, for this award. As well, I uh, want to uh, thank the ACB student organization and the ACB at large for embracing me and giving me uh, this opportunity to learn more about how ACB empowers and seeks to enhance the lives of the blind. I hope that soon I will find a place within the organization, and I look forward to that. Thank you so very much. We have a place for you. Next uh, recipient of the William Corey Scholarship comes from Mineral Point, Pennsylvania. Any Pennsylvanians in the house? <laughs> now, another one of these awesome people uh, with carrying a 4.0 GPA, attending Edinburgh Uni University, uh, seeking a master's in social work. I put in my notes about this lady. I, I, I just stopped reading all of the things. that she, I just put in here, busy. <laughs> she, she has interests that range from training horses to skydiving and scuba, scuba diving and a lot of things uh, in between. Uh, please welcome... Lisa Hagrich. Hello. <laughs> okay. I'm honored to be here, and I thank, and just um, humbled to thank ACB Scholarship Committee and all of you at ACB. In selecting me as a recipient for the Corey Scholarship on behalf of Pennsylvania. Um, as a non-traditional um, student and um, beginning a new chapter in my life, it's just um, super nice to have your support and encouragement and the opportunity to be here 
for this year's 2016 ACB convention. And um, thank you so much. find that mic there. Okay, our next recipient uh, also is not able to uh, join us today. Uh, Lillian Goodman, the winner of the Oregon Scholarship, uh, she had to participate in a mandatory program, uh, so she was unable to, unable to join us. She comes from, uh, from Portland, Oregon. She's, uh, she'll be an entering freshman at Linfield uh, college uh, studying accounting. Oh yeah, let's go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. And again, this this uh, our next winner is here. Uh, he is Michael Fulton. He's the winner of the James R. Olson Scholarship. Michael comes to us from Killingworth, Connecticut, where he will be uh, attending Western New England University, uh, pursuing a degree in information technology. Uh, I put in my notes from Michael. He says he loves technology. And, and to, to prove it, he's been a mentor, he's been a teacher, and he's even gotten a little, little pay for it because he worked at doing, doing uh, inf- information technology for his school. Michael Fulton. Good morning, everyone. I'd just like to say that I'm truly honored to be here. Um, I'd like to thank ACB and the Scholarship Committee, and particularly Mrs. Anna Olson, for your support. Um, Definitely honored to be a scholarship recipient and attending the convention. This is actually my first convention. It's been a really great experience. And thank you again to everyone. Our next recipient uh, 
is also an interesting fellow. Uh, we, we, we had a, a big laugh uh, at, at dinner the other night because uh, in his job, I thought he was working in both North Carolina and South Carolina, but South Carolina was, was a previous employment. Uh, but he is uh, Leonard Moore. He's the winner of the John Hepner Scholarship from Charlotte, North Carolina. He's attending North Carolina State, uh, pursuing a degree in adult and community college uh, education. His, his hope is to become uh, a, a college administrator. Uh, he's currently a, a rehabilitation uh, counselor in the state of North Carolina. <laughs> Leonard? Good morning. Um, uh, like Mr. Garrison stated, I am a working professional who is returning to school. Um, I won't say what my age is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, as a rehabilitation counselor, I'm very passionate about individuals with disabilities and employment. Um, and as a doctorate student, I plan to uh, just pursue uh, ways to utilize uh, assistive technology like Uber and Humanware to improve the quality of education and employment for individuals with disabilities. So I want to say thank you to uh, ACB for their uh, generosity. Um, thank you to uh, Mr. Garrison and the scholarship committee for selecting me, um, for granting me this opportunity. And I also want to say thank you to my wife, who is here, Tamara, for her um, love and support. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Make sure I don't skip anybody else. Uh, Michael J. Boser was our, uh, our first Pangier winner, but he's not here with us. He was here over the weekend. He wanted to come uh, and spend time with us, but he uh, is in class today. <laughs> he comes to us from Palm Harbor, Florida. Uh, He is attending the University of Central Florida, pursuing a degree in business and sports management. Uh, Interestingly enough, uh, his, his involvement has been in Students Against Destructive Decisions, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. He's a mentor. And, y'all, is, is 29 a good score on the ACT? That's what he scored. <laughs> Michael J. Boser, he's not here, but... Our next Pangier winner is, is also a delightful young lady, uh, Christy Hung from Baskin uh, Ridge, New Jersey. 
Now, now, now let, me, let me see if I can put all this together. She, she's going to be uh, studying mathematical economics and statistics <laughs> at the University of Pennsylvania. Uh, now, y'all tell me this. Is 2310 a good score on the SAT? <laughs> That's what she did. <laughs> And in her spare time, she runs track, she participates in the STEM program, uh, and her goal... Okay. I wasn't that close, was I? (laughs) And her goal is to to be a, a, a change or promote change in policy when she becomes employed. A very driven young lady, Christy Hung. Good morning, everyone. So I would like to start by saying how honored I feel right now to be here with everyone. So I recently just graduated from high school this past June, and as mentioned, I will be attending the University of Pennsylvania next fall with a huge interest in mathematics, economics, and statistics. So so I would like to give huge thanks to the American Council for the Blind for choosing me as a 2016 ACB scholarship winner, as well as Ross Pangier for being the generous donor for my um, scholarship award. I'm really appreciative and honored to have such an incredible person and have such an impactful organization be part of my academic journey and helping me with my transition from high school to college. Um, This scholarship will be very helpful in not only paying for my college tuition, but also for helping me purchase my assistive technology and all my books for school. I also wanted to say how grateful I am for this experience of attending my first national convention. Um, This has really been such an eye-opening experience, and I've learned so much by just being around all you inspirational people and just hearing everyone's stories. And I'll definitely be leaving Minnesota more empowered, with more confidence, and definitely with more friendships. So I just wanted to thank ACB for everything they've done for me. Thank you. Next recipient of the Ross N. Pangier Scholarship uh, comes from Grain Valley, Missouri. (laughs) Studying uh, computer science and computer engineering. Uh, and he has time to put a little math and physics in there too so he's a busy man let me see if I can get this right at the Missouri I think the mic the mic the mic no it's it's still on but it's it, you, lowered, you lowered it I guess 
Do I get to do? All right. You need to project. You know, you want me to? You want, you want me to do my preacher's voice? I guess. <laughs> All right, but Mark is attending the Missouri University of Science and Technology. He has a, a, a big interest in robotics and theater, of all things. <laughs> but his goal is to um, start a company that will help people. Mark Myers. Good morning, everyone. I wanted to start by thanking ACB and the Scholarship Committee for selecting me as a scholarship winner for 2016. I also would like to thank Ross Pangier for uh, funding this scholarship. And I just wanted to talk about, you know, some of my experiences at this convention. And I, I have to say that it was a wonderful opportunity to see what ACB is all about and I got to meet a lot of amazing people this week, and I hope to continue um, building friendships, and thank you so much for this opportunity and for your help in my education. see here now. Our next uh, recipient is Marcus Hernandez. He is our first uh, Qualls, Floyd Qualls winner. Uh, now he's, he, I guess he's, 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 he, his home basically is in Colorado, but he's from Tucson. <laughs> Also a very interesting uh, young man uh, pursuing his Ph.D. in history and uh, global change at the University of Arizona. Ma uh, Marcus has done some teaching uh, as a teaching assistant. Uh, he's a, a public speaker. In fact, uh, I believe he's just come back from New York. Um, and he's writing his dissertation uh, in community development uh, from the, in, the, in the 19th century. Marcus Hernandez. Good morning to everyone. Um, I'm still uh, a little bit confused and trying to figure out how I'm even uh, sharing a stage with uh, so many intelligent and uh, smart people. But um, 
I'm here somehow. So I would like to uh, first of all thank uh, Michael Garrett. I would like to also thank the rest of the scholarship committee, um, especially the um, Arizona Council of the Blind chapter. I know they're, they're here somewhere, right? So I would like to thank them uh, as well as the ACB as a whole. Uh, as Michael mentioned, I, I study history, so I'm sure most of you are snoring by now. Um, but, you know, I'm really interested in uh, studying what drives human behavior, what drives uh, the policy, what drives, you know, the, the fundamental kind of decisions that are made uh, on a daily basis, and um, love university settings, so I hope to finish my uh, dissertation before I die. Uh, and uh, if that happens, then hopefully I will be able to uh, give something back to, to the rest of the world. So thanks again for everything. Uh, Floyd Qualls Scholarship winner, and I'm appreciative. Thank you. All right, our next Qualls winner is Abby Edwards from Vandalia, Ohio. Ohio in the house. She's uh, pursuing a degree in psychology at Wright State University. Now, her goal, though, is to seek her PhD in uh, clinical health psychology. She also is, uh, does a lot of public speaking, uh, especially emphasizing uh, self-advocacy. Abby Edwards. All right, how exciting is it to be here, everybody, with all these amazing people? I'm so excited to be here. Um, I didn't realize um, when I first came here how many people it truly took to put together one single scholarship. And so I think that there's a few groups that need a little recognition. Oh, maybe I'm not. There we go. Can I just? I'll just hold this. All right. The first group that I would like to thank are all those that donated to the ACB scholarships. Without you, there would be no scholarship, and I wouldn't be able to pursue my career goal of becoming a cl clinical health psychologist. But beyond that, there's more to college than just academics. There's personal growth, and that's what means so much to me, is the ability to grow as a person and contribute to society. I would also like to thank the scholarship committee for giving me the opportunity to come here. This has been a truly amazing experience, and it brings me to the third group of people I'd like to thank. I would like to thank everyone here for making this a truly amazing experience for me and one that I will never forget. I know going forward that I will have everyone from ACB to thank for the newfound confidence that I have and the hope in the future that I have for what can come. Thank you. Yeah, 
We're almost there. I got uh, this one's not here. This one's not here. And two more after, after that. Well, <laughs> all right. This next um, this next recipient uh, uh, is not able to be here. Um, she, she hails from Madison, Iowa. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I guess so. But she's uh, she's studying psychology and and Spanish, uh, and she's attending Central College, uh, and her name is Marissa Hirschman. Two more, guys. Two more. Two more. Two more. All right. Our last two. Uh, Qual's winners. Uh, the, the first one is Phoebe Trin from Knoxville, Tennessee. She uh, now she just graduated from Harvard, and she she'll, she'll be pursuing her PhD at Yale. <laughs> Uh, she's, she studied epidemiology, and she wants to get in, involved in advanced epidemiological research. I said that. I said it. I said it. <laughs> and here she is, Miss Phoebe Tran. Um, good morning, everyone. First of all, um, I'd like to thank ACB for this really generous um, scholarship and also the wonderful opportunity to attend my first ACB convention, which has been wonderful. Um, second, um, the many friends that I've met here and the information that I have um, learned at convention, they've reinvigorated my plans um, to do research um, in finding ways to increase um, awareness and also um, adherence to treatment for eye medication for people with eye diseases who live in rural parts of the United States. Uh, This is like an area of research that I hold especially close since I spent many years of my life living in a small rural town in the South. And while living there, um, I heard countless stories about how difficult it was to get access um, to treatment or accurate information to treatment. So um, once again, I'd like to thank ACB for giving me the support and the tools to fulfill my dream of doing this research as I continue on um, to my PhD. Thank you so much. Last but not least, our final scholarship uh, recipient is um, Timothy Jones. Timothy comes to us from North Cross, Georgia. He's uh, pursuing a degree in music performance uh, with an emphasis in playing the organ. Uh, He also plays the piano. Uh, 
and Timothy has, uh, oh, he's, he's attending Mercer College, and he has performed concerts and performances uh, for a number of local civic and, and senior citizens community uh, groups uh, all around Georgia. Timothy Jones. One of my favorite Bible verses has always been 2 Corinthians 5, 7. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We as blind people understand that verse about walking onward through the unknown more than most. And about having the trust and faith to do that with confidence. When beginning the college selection process, there were many unknowns, but one in particular was how I would finance it. Under acceptance into, upon acceptance into Mercer University, I was granted a scholarship package which covered a great deal of the cost. However, there was still a gap to fill, and I could not at that time see how that gap would be filled. However, God has provided for my needs just as he promised, even though at that time I didn't see how this could happen. This year, I can, I can express how thankful I am for the American Council of the Blind for helping to bridge the financial gap. Your support will enable me to continue toward the final goal of serving others through music and restoring the rich heritage of classical music in the lives of young people, specifically the blind. I hope to use your support to help others find the faith and heritage, faith and courage, rather, to continue their own walk through the dark unknown by faith and not by sight. Faith in God. Faith in themselves and faith in the wonderful folks like all of you in ACB. Thank you. So in, close, in closing, let me urge these scholarship winners, let me say, um, we want to thank you, scholarship winners, for allowing us to be a part of your lives. We applaud you. We encourage you. We wish you well, because when you come back to see us, we know you'll have a great story to tell. Thank you all. Okay, okay, thank you very much. Uh, any announcements?
Dan's like, okay, Dan. Why we? Okay, Dan. Now wait, Dan going first. Yo, Mr. I need a mic. Dan. Okay, Mr. Spoon. Hello, Mr. Chair. Uh, I would like to recognize first Cindy Van Winkle to talk about the auction. Cindy. Okay. While, while Cindy's coming, then keep it going. Maybe Mike Godino to talk about MMS. Hello. Yeah. Get in the queue. Hello. Hello. We're waiting for mics. <clears throat> okay. Are there mic problems? Hello? All right. Good it. morning. Okay. I hope you're making plans to be with us tomorrow night in the North Star Ballroom. At 6 o'clock, you can come in and preview all of the wonderful items. There's quilts and trips and jewelry and technology. You heard today that HumanWare's made some donations. So there's those items and there's lots of other technology. Um, I know there's some uh, Kindle and uh, a tap and an echo and so some newer kind of technology mainstream and lots of food items, a peach cake and some chocolate cake balls and fudge and stuff that sounds so delicious, I want it. Um, so bring your checkbooks and your credit cards and your cash. And uh, if you need to get an auction bidder number, you can go to registration to do that if you don't already have one. And... Um, Come and support ACB at uh, the Decade of Dreams auction. Tomorrow night, it begins at 7 o'clock. Come by whenever you can. So if you're at something else, come by in the middle of it. doesn't matter when you show up. We just want you there. And there will be food and a bar. So we'll keep you, uh, uh, hopefully we'll keep you nourished while you do your bidding. Thank you so much. See you tomorrow night. Mike Godino for MMS. Uh, yeah, I, I recognize gonna, Mike Godino. I'm going to do that today. Ka uh, Kathy Brockman. Oh, okay. hi, Kathy. Go ahead, okay. Kathy. Yes. On behalf of the Monthly Monetary Support Committee, I would like to announce... Is it Mike? Okay. I'd like to announce that the winner for the daily drawing was Marie Brennis from Fairfax, uh, Virginia. We would, like to, we would like to encourage others... To come by the table, booth number four, next to the ACB Mini Mall. Someone will be there this afternoon to help you with those forms. We'd like to reach that goal of $100,000. And you can also make a monthly contribution. Part of it can go to an affiliate of your choice. So please support MMS along with everything else. Thank you. And Mr. Mr. Chair, Chair, finally, I just okay. want to encourage everybody to buy a Braille Forum raffle ticket. They're for $50. The grand prize is $5,000, also $1,500 prizes. Excuse me? Mr. And, Chairman? And Mr. Chairman. With those, with those prizes, you can help your affiliate. You can have at least five people that can sign up for the Braille Forum drawing tickets. So please come see any of our RDC folks. We have tickets at registration and also at the ACB Mini Mall. Show your love for ACB and buy a Braille Forum raffle ticket. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Mr. Okay. Chairman. Thank you. Mr. Chairman, Chris Green. Now, and before, Chairman, I'm not going to recognize anybody from the floor right now. Um, I, I need Mi to have somebody from here. Uh, there's two people before you, and then 
and I swear I'll recognize you. And door prizes Mr. will be after we reconvene Mr. because of Chairman. scheduling. Chairman Chris uh, Gray. I recognize Don Coors. I'm recognizing Don Coors. Uh, ACB of Indiana would like to donate $100 to the James R. Olson Scholarship Fund. Yay! Mr. Chairman. The chair recognizes Janet Dickelman. Ms. Dickelman? Yep. Had to to find, had to push somebody away from a mic. Sorry about that. Sorry, person. Uh, In the newspaper today, it shows that the GDUI luncheon is today. That is not correct. Apparently, a GDUI ad got put in the wrong place. So, GDUI luncheon is tomorrow, Wednesday, as listed in the program, not today. And their auction ends today at five, if you're bidding. Also, we still have the same lost items at the or found items at the information desk. We have the figure from the Laura Ingalls Wilder. We have the whistle. So if anybody has lost either of those, come by the information desk. And banquet tables of eight. That's it. Mr. Chairman, Mr. Carla Rushville with the Mini Mall. Okay. Mr. Carla, McCann. Carla, I recognize Carla. I would like to remind people that if you have tickets for T-shirts or pins that you have not come by the Mini Mall and redeemed as of yet, please do so, especially with the shirts. Um, Today, the shirts go on public sale, so um, if you have a ticket and you um, wait too long, we may not have the size that you have purchased. Also, also, I just want you to know that the mini mall, after the first three days, is 25% up in gross sales from last year and it is a record year, and we are currently nearing $7,800 in gross sales. Thank you so much. Come see Mr. us. Mr. Mr. Chair. Mr. Chairman, Chris Gray. I recognize one more person Mr. before Mr. Chairman, Chris Gray. This is Judy yes. Jackson with Bra- Braille Revival League. Braille Revival League, talk Yes. We are once again selling words. Oh, I'm sorry. Ooh. We are once again selling word searches. For $10 a book, we have some old books left, and we have new ones this year as well that have 13 So $10 at the Florida table and Alabama table, if Ron's still here. Okay. Door Mr. prizes Chairman. will be when we reconvene. We will stand in a short bio recess for 10 minutes. Okay. We're going to get right to the sponsor interview. Hello, this is Larry Trumbull with ACB Radio, and welcome to the 2016 convention in Minneapolis, Minnesota. With me is Greg Stilson with Humanware, and we have uh, plenty to talk about with the new Braille Touch, and let's uh, say hello to Greg. Hey, Greg. Hey, Larry. Thanks for having me on again. It's great to be on ACB Radio. Yeah, great to have you always. Excellent. So what do we got so, with this uh, new uh, device that's just been released? Yeah, well, actually, it, the timing is good. We uh, literally last week uh, started shipping our first Braille Note Touch units. So the Braille Note Touch is, um, for, for those of you who don't or haven't heard about it, it's um, it's really what what I'm calling the, the next class of what people traditionally call the note taker. Um, the, the Braille Note Touch is a... A, a Google certified Braille tablet, and a lot of people ask me, "Well, what does Google certified mean? What is what is that?" The, the 
big deal here is that the Braille Note Touch is the first accessibility device that's ever been certified by Google. And what that means is that the users of the Braille Note Touch can access all the same applications that are available to any tablet on the Google Play Store. So when when I say Google certified, Google has something like 25,000 automated tests that a manufacturer has to pass to allow their device to be on the Google Play Store. And what that means is that you, Larry, could buy a Braille Note Touch tomorrow and go to the Google Play Store and download any of the one point whatever million applications that are on there. And that's really where this device really sets itself apart from any assistive technology tool that's been out there today or up to today is that um, you're able to use your traditional note taker commands, your your Braille note functions, your, your your all the efficiency things that the Braille note has done for years and, and that the Braille note comes with its own apps, you know, things like keyword, key mail that have been all souped up for the 21st century. Um, and you use a lot of the same uh, efficiency things like first letter navigation in, in our apps or in third party apps. But if you do want to download an accessible app from the Google Play Store, you can do that because the device is Google certified. And that's really where our goal with this product is to bring together the best of both worlds, the mainstream and assistive technology. And sort of what kind of brought us to the thinking about this was that myself, I'm a blind individual. I, I use touch screens and things like that all the time. But one of the things that we noticed was that when blind people are using their their phones or their their tablets and things like that the the devices are designed to be accessible for everyone and what that means is that i can physically touch an item on the screen and it will read to me what it is they're meant to be efficient by sighted people so uh, that's a very clean dis- distinction here we have techniques with with uh, the screen readers and things that come on these mainstream devices but they're really meant to be efficient by the sighted population they're meant to be accessible by blind people and so what we wanted to do is design a product that was both accessible and efficient for the the blind population and so that's really where this device gives you a touch screen if you want to use it otherwise it has a physical keyboard and you can do all of the same uh, Braille commands and, and accessibility efficiency tools that you've used for many, many years, like first letter navigation or the, the shortcut keys and things like that. Um, but you can do an, uh, you can use them on the touchscreen itself. So we developed the technology actually to be able to type Braille naturally um, on the glass of the Braille Note Touch. So it physically looks like uh, your typical braille note but where you would typically have keys behind the braille display um, and that's a, a key component here is that it is an all-in-one device so you don't have to mess with two separate devices or bluetooth pairings of devices to tablets and things like that it's all in one device and right behind the braille display is a glass surface that you can type braille on or you can use your traditional swipe and double tap um, gestures that that you're familiar with with um, tablets and smartphones and things like that so um, touch braille is really the most efficient way that a blind person has ever had to interact with the touch screen so um, and as I said we 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 designed all of the key soft apps from the ground up uh, so things like our word processor which now operates strictly in a Microsoft Word format, so you don't have to do any kind of conversion of Braille files to Word anymore. Um, you're always just writing 
perfect contracted Braille or uncontracted Braille in a Microsoft Word document. So you're able to do a lot of the uh, really powerful formatting stuff there too. So um, like I said, we really wanted to kind of bring together this marriage of mainstream and assistive technology into one device. And that device ended up being the Braille Note Touch. Great. That really sounds exciting. Does this device uh, have uh, speech capability as well as the Braille display? It does, yep. So you can use speech output. Um, you can turn the speech output off. One of the really the nice benefits of touch Braille, which is the typing on the glass, is that you don't ever hear the physical clicking of keys. So you can turn your speech off, just have the Braille running, and you can be typing your notes in your classroom or in your meeting or writing a paper or whatever. And it's totally silent. And that's really what's really awesome is that sighted people, you know, sighted classmates or colleagues can write with a pencil and paper completely silently. Well, we now as blind people have the ability to not really stand out in the middle of a classroom anymore and, and do the click clack of keys and stuff like that. But as I said, the, the Braille Note Touch does come with a carrying case with a keyboard attached to it. And you can flip that down right on top of the screen and use it just like your traditional braille note taker that you've used for the past you know 16 years oh wonderful and i'm assuming that uh, with all the previous uh, software that you've had on the previous devices uh, you can do uh, streaming with this as well yeah yeah and it's it's even more than that now now you can do streaming but i mean i i can download so many different apps for streaming so for example i can download podcast apps i could download um, you know, we've, we've got YouTube on the device, so if you want to just quick watch a YouTube video, you can do that. Um, every week, we're doing um, a snapshot tutorial where we're releasing uh, basically a five-minute video of some of the really cool things you can do with the Braille Note Touch. Like this week, we just did one on showing just how easy it is to access YouTube. You don't have to, you know, one of the things I find myself doing on my phone all the time is swiping right about a thousand times until i find what i'm looking for and uh the nice thing with the braille note touch is that you can type the first letter of on on youtube for example if i if i'm looking for the search box and i have no idea where the search box is located on the screen rather than running my finger all over the screen or swiping right a hundred times i can just type s and it'll jump straight to search oh that definitely will save some time <laughs> yeah yep especially with apps that you're not familiar with if you if you just know kind of what you're looking for and you say okay well somewhere on the screen's got to be a search button or a done button or a send button you can you can type the first letter and jump right there oh great so i guess everybody will really be looking forward to seeing this device you'll be featuring it at the convention right absolutely yep yep so it will it'll be we'll have uh, some braille note touches there you'll be able to try out touch braille and just see how natural it is we've got a lot of positive feedback uh on touch braille um, basically when you type touch braille you lay 10 fingers on the screen you get a quick vibration from the device, and then you just start typing as if there were really keys there. And what's really cool about Touch Braille is that it follows your fingers. You don't need to hit keys, virtual keys, anywhere on the screen. You just type naturally where you believe the Braille key should be, and uh, it'll it'll follow your fingers. So it not only you know identifies your fingers, but identifies which fingers they are. And that's what's really remarkable about Touch Braille. We uh, this is patent pending technology that we uh we developed from the ground up so you'll be able to play with that um we'll have some really cool apps uh on the device that you'll be able to see um it does have an hdmi port so that if there is we, we do have anybody with vision we can plug into a large monitor and you can just see what's going on on the screen as well with regard to the other devices you'll see a pattern one of the things i want to talk about is for our low vision users um the product's called the prodigy connect 
And you'll see sort of a pattern here because one of the things that we're starting to do is really try to, as I said, marry the best of both worlds. And that's really what I think we've done with the Prodigy Connect as well is the Prodigy Connect has the Prodigy software inside of it. And it's basically it's a, a tablet that sits into a stand and allows you to use it as a, a, a low vision magnifier, so a portable CCTV. But if you want to you know, leave the Prodigy application, which allows you to put a piece of paper underneath it, you can magnify it in live mode in real time to read what you're looking at, or you can use the Prodigy's embedded optical character recognition, so I can hit the scan and read button, and it just starts reading to you, which is really cool there. But when I'm done with it, and let's say I want to go take the Prodigy um, uh, stuff that I read and move it to Dropbox, or if you sent me an email, Larry, and I want to read the email, I can actually leave the Prodigy software, open up an email, and magnify that and actually see it. So it's really this best of both worlds. We're taking the efficiency of reading in a low-vision magnifier that's designed for low-vision people um, combined with the openness of a, a, an Android tablet. So this is really, uh, you know, an, an Android, I think it's a 12-inch tablet that you're using. So um, it's, it's sort of this combination of the two technologies. And I think that that's really what our users of today are expecting, is that we don't want a device that's just doing one thing. We want something that is easy for me to use that does a whole bunch of things. And so that's really where... Uh, where I think Humanware, you're going to start seeing a lot of our focus being put. You can contact uh, Humanware at www.humanware.com. Um, you can contact our customer service at info at humanware.com or our customer or our tech support at support. They're ready? <laughs> okay. Our phone number is 800. Catalina, you just going to pull and apprise me? How does this work? Thank you for being a Ruby. Somebody going to tell me? The 2016 yep. ACB oh, convention. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you. This is Larry Turnbull with ACB Radio. Oh, here. You want to, do you come up to the podium to do this? Door prize mic? Door prize. Do we have door prize mic or come to the podium? Well, they could, there's usually a mic over there. If there's no mic over there, you got to come here. And you're going to be using this. I'm not. He's not I'm just come here no. if you can. No. You're good? Okay, it would be great to get another one. Well, here. Just here's the podium. I'm going to let you. If it's possible, would one of the AV folks bring another microphone to the head table or reorganize them, please? Thank you. Go ahead and announce who it is, if you've got a name. Good morning. The Frex winner is a $25 gift card donated by ACB of Arizona. Woo! Patty Cox. Are you here, Patty? Oh, okay. All right. Is she working? Patty Cox. Let me get another door. Hold on a second. What are we doing to working? Madam President, what do we do when they're working? When they're working, they, they get the door prize. Okay. They get the door prize. It goes to Patty Cox if she's working. I'll get it to her. Thank you. Okay. Where's this mic? It's supposed to be. Oh. They get it Mike just Where's it up in the air here, oh. floating. All right. No. <laughs> One more. One more, please. One more. Uh, whoa, that's a hot mic. One more door prize. Quickly. One more.
Quickly, can we get it? Tail wagging the dog or yeah. something? Yeah. Exactly. James it's Gonzalez? Exactly. James Gonzalez. James Gonzalez. James Gonzalez. He's not here? We move on. We move on. Quickly, we gotta. We gotta hurry. Chop, chop, chop. I know, I know. How convenient is your program? ACB, what? Not at all. Bear with, bear with us. Who? Joan Justice. Imagine a lawyer introducing that one. Joan Justice. Joan Justice. Okay, another one. Quickly, please. Michael Spiegler. Michael Spiegler. Not hearing anything. Let's go. Come on. Who? Oh, from Australia. Susan Thompson. Is she here? Oh, man. Doesn't appear so. She's coming. Okay. It's too bad for Susan. Next one. Charles Mossop. Charles, are you in the room? Well, here? I mean, he needs to shout out if he is. I'm not hearing anything. Move on. Nope. Marion Hasselrood. She's, she's in information? Yes. So she gets she's it. working. Oh, she's working, then she'll get the... Uh, she has convention responsibilities. Thank you. Awesome. Okay. Next. What? It's time for Clint. It is? I thought the other one went first. Yeah. Huh? Oh, I thought... Okay. What, what? No, never mind. I thought okay. it was we at first. Oh, we No, no. All right. Okay. 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 Mr. Chairman. We're going to move on. Mr. Time for Chairman. Pres- it's a time for our presentation. I'm not recognizing anybody else now, but the person who is next up, who I think you will find to be um, a very intriguing and a great guest. Let's see. Clint Covington is an 18-year Microsoft veteran and drives the accessibility strategy and execution for the company's applications and services group. This means he works to make Office, OneNote, SharePoint, Skype, and Bing usable for everyone in this audience. Clint is one of the driving forces behind Microsoft's renewed commitment to accessibility and a key contributor to our new partnership with Microsoft. It is my pleasure to introduce to you Mr. Clint Covington. Good morning. It's an opportunity. It's a, I, I am appreciative of the opportunity to join you here today. And um, I couldn't be more excited to talk about our partnership with the American Council of the Blind and the work Microsoft is doing to bring digital inclusion to the classroom, the work, modern workplace, and to your life. <laughs> How do you like that? Well done. <laughs> I, think, I think Microsoft just got brought to our lives. <laughs> I, I now know that Windows is now booting. That's a good sign. <laughs> I was wondering what kind of humor I would start this yeah, off with, and I, I appreciate I the computer did. reboot for that. Um, today, I'd like to provide you with an update on our products and, more broadly, our commitment to accessibility. 
and some of the work that we're doing to shift our culture and to help empower people with vision impairment. More on mic. Oh, with vision with vision impairments. I. We hear more. We hear the computer more than you. We're working on it. I know from personal experience that people with visual impairments can do great work if given equal access to information. It was 18 months ago that I came to the stark realization that we were not doing enough to empower the blind. Um, I was at our ability summit, and I met a lady named Peggy. Peggy's blind. She uses JAWS to man- and, and manages projects for her, for her job, for her career. She signed up for a class on Microsoft Project um, to improve her skill set. She had to drop that class because Project was not accessible. This conversation introduced me to the human implications of what happens when our products are not accessible or usable for the blind. She looked at me and she said, Clint, Microsoft used to be great at accessibility. I want to see you rise again. Um, you know, I love Microsoft. I love Office. I've been spent 18 years in the, in the group. And that experience rang contrary to everything I believe that we are as a company and what we stand for and what we're trying to achieve. Um, so it's obvious that we needed to improve. So we're working to change our culture, to re-architect our code, um, and to make our products more accessible. Today I'll provide you an update on what we're doing, but before that I'd like to share a video from our CEO, Satya Nadella. Are we ready? Hi, I'm Satya Nadella, CEO of Microsoft. It's an honor to have the opportunity to address you today. At Microsoft, our mission is to empower every person and every organization on the planet to achieve more. Part of our mission means building products that are accessible to everyone on the planet. This includes the blind and the people with visual impairment. Accessibility is more than a commitment. It's something we pursue with passion that I care about deeply myself. It means being transparent with our product plans and accessibility goals, prioritizing inclusive design in the products we build, and fostering a diverse and inclusive culture within Microsoft. Partnerships with organizations like yours are fundamental to achieving our goals. I'm encouraged by the new projects and innovation that utilize digital technology to improve the lives of those with visual impairment. For example, with our partner Guide Dogs in the United Kingdom, we're exploring how technology can enable people with sight loss to independently navigate their towns and cities. And recently, a team at Microsoft, which includes a developer who is visually impaired, shared an incredible project called Seeing AI. Just imagine a pair of smart glasses with artificial intelligence to help a person with blindness read a menu at a restaurant, understand expressions of people they're talking to, and recognize objects in front of them. These research projects excite me for the future for what we can collectively achieve to truly make a difference in the lives of everyone on the planet. Thank you so very much.
As you heard in the video, Satya has really embraced this part of our company mission. He's an engineer at heart, and including accessibility is one of his key priorities. He's a sponsor of the Disability Employee Resource Group before becoming CEO, and his passion has only grown. Our job has been to help make that vision a reality. Just over a year ago, I was one of the first senior leaders in this space. Since then, we've made organizational changes to empower top leaders in the company to build products to make your lives better. This includes leaders in Windows, our developer tools organization to improve the ability for software vendors to create accessible software, and finally, the expansion of our corporate accessibility team. As we created new plans, it was clear that we needed a partner that could help us prioritize the right work and ensure that we were building would best serve you. It, was a, it wasn't a question of if we were going to invest, but rather, were we prioritizing and designing in the right way? Late last year, we entered into a joint partnership with Eric Bridges and the ACB to make our products more usable. I can say without a doubt that the constant exchange of information between the ACB and Microsoft truly helps us make products more usable. Starting this month, for example, the ACB is modernizing their workplace by moving to Windows 10 and Office 365. Well, it's great to hear about our... <laughs> while, while, while it's great to hear about um, customers deploying our latest technology, I, I look forward to the continued feedback from the ACB that will help bring digital inclusion to the modern workplace. I'm sure that this month, Jeff Bishop will be reaching out to me for critical bug fixes and new feature ideas, which are key to creating a digitally inclusive workplace. Through the partnership with the ACB has helped prioritize work in the Windows accessibility experience. Narrator needs to be usable for daily use with specific improvements in performance, reliability, and usability. In the, up, in the soon to upcoming update, you'll see a few improvements. Faster voices that average nearly 800 words a minute. A new navigation mode called scan mode that makes keyboard commands more familiar with the users of other screen readers. Support for six levels of verbosity, giving you more details about the characteristics of the text as well as control over how much punctuation you hear when reading text. Many applications inside of Windows 10 offer automatic suggest as you enter information to include search terms, you will now get a verbal hint with an audio indication when these suggestions are available. We are working on supporting Braille with the upcoming goal of having something to show later this year. We know that there's still work to do before Narrator is where we want it to be, and we expect to continue that work. At the same time, We'll continue to work with Freedom Scientific and NVDA and our other partners to make your screen reading experience efficient and satisfying. We're prioritizing accessibility improvements in core experiences such as the start menu, the lock screen, Cortana, store, groove music, and the mail application. We're, re we're, make we're working hard to make Edge an accessible, a great accessible browser and recognize 
We, we recognize the, the need for better support with screen reader partners. The upcoming Windows update will also have improvements in the reading experience for tagged PDFs. We think Edge, PDF, the mail experiences are pretty good with Narrator and would love to get your feedback. We encourage everyone to get the Windows 10 update and provide feedback. We will continue to provide this as a free upgrade for anyone who relies on a screen reader. We'll keep the ACB. We'll keep the ACB appraised of the details. Now, let me tell you about Office and some of the changes on this, that side of the company. In April of 2015, we made digital inclusion one of the seven initiatives for the organization. Shortly after I was asked to lead the effort across the products, I received executive level support for a three-part strategy for digital inclusion in this modern workplace. First, we want to ensure that you can communicate, create, and consume content on any device you own. Well, let me, let me explain what that means. We're committed to making improvements for Word, Excel, PowerPoint, Project, Outlook, Skype, SharePoint, Bing. Make all of those accessible and across any of device, which includes Windows, Windows Store apps, iOS, Mac, Android, and web. We are shipping new apps designed to be inclusive from the very beginning. Office Forms, SharePoint iOS, Delve Analytics, an upcoming Visio um, for the web will all be released as accessible. We've delayed shipping updates with regressions to accessibility for Mac iOS and PowerPoint updates. These, these decisions are right for customers and they send a clear message to our engineers about our commitment to ship software that's accessible. Second, we want to make it easy for everyone to create accessible content. We can do a great job of making it possible for you to use screen readers, but if the content that, you want to re that you're looking to consume isn't accessible, we're not having the impact that we want to have. So we want to make it easy for, the, for Word documents and PDF documents, decks, emails, spreadsheets, websites created by others to just be accessible in the way that they're created. And we'll continue on the Office side to enable you to use Office 365 with Narrator as your daily screen reader. We know we have work to do in that area. Um, we're proud of the progress that we've made improving your experience across all of our products. Here's just a few highlights of some things that have recently shipped. Office 365 has an update for high contrast with icons that are, have clear outlines and make it easier for people to identify. The feedback has been received, the feedback from the low vision community has been outstanding. SharePoint recently launched a new iOS app with full accessibility support. The SharePoint homepage has also been redesigned to be accessible by default, and we're rolling out improvements to document libraries and site contents. I understand that SharePoint accessibility is an important part of you being successful in the workplace. We take our responsibilities serious to this place and are trying to do our best work here. The mail and calendar apps in Windows, as well as the Outlook 2016, are usable today with Narrator. We've spent over 3,000 hours improving documentation on how to use our products with screen readers, keyboard commands, and training videos. We expect to continue that investment. Today, Narrator doesn't read out all of the Office content that's on the screen. 
our goal is to have 100% of the content to be read by narrator by the end of the year. Later this year, we'll ship, up, we'll ship richer support in Word, Excel, PowerPoint, and Skype for narrator as well as TalkBack on Android devices. We encourage you to sign up for Office 365 to get the immediate benefits of this accessibility work and watch for continued improvements. Finally, we have, we've recognized that people with disabilities require a different skill set on, on the support side and a different set of engineers to help you use your products. The Disability Answer Desk is a dedicated service supporting the blind. How many, how many people have used it? That's, that's fantastic. We're now in 11 markets with three languages that include phone, chat, ASL, direct video for our deaf customers. Over 12,000 people in the U.S. used the service last month alone. If you have a question about a feature or a product, you, enter, you encounter a problem, it's there for you. It's also, we also provide a direct line of feedback to our teams that are building the products. We believe that, daily, that the daily challenges of people with disabilities provide a great lens that unlocks innovation. Thomas Edison enjoyed the, phono, the phonograph for audiobooks for the blind. Mr. Ray Kurzweil invented OCR and the flatbed scanner. Our own OneNote learning project, while paling in comparison, is having a tremendous impact on teaching kids how to read. And it was originally designed for, to help people who are struggling with dyslexia. There's one project that really embodies the approach that we called Cities Unlocked. Cities Unlocked was an idea of one of our employees, Amos Miller, an architect who is blind and passionate about how technology can empower new ways of navigating. He and others have been working and perfecting prototypes along organizations in the UK. Our hope is to get this out to more people in the course of the next 12 to 18 months. Okay, go ahead and, go ahead and play Cities Unlocked. Indistinct objects glow in blurry surroundings. The screen reads, imagine if your world looked like this. Fuzzy images are different colors, and dark silhouettes move across a dim background. The scene comes into focus. A man wearing a headset is seated at a counter. My name is Amos Miller. I lost my sight as a teenager. The estimates are around 300 million people who are visually impaired around the world. Outside, Amos is using a white cane. I work for Microsoft as the regional director for our digital advisory services in Asia. I ask myself, why isn't technology playing a bigger role in getting people out and about and independent? As sighted people, we take so much for granted. Then all of a sudden, designing for somebody who isn't you and to whose experience you find it very difficult to relate is an enormous challenge. My name is uh, John L. Chudge. I'm based out of the UK and uh, my role as a, as a designer, as a UX architect, is really acting as the advocate for the end user. So the technology that we've developed is designed to complement your existing experience. It's not designed to replace a cane or a guide dog. It's designed to enrich your understanding of the surrounding around you. There's a, a physical aspect to the technology. It relies on the phone driving the entire experience. The uh, intelligence, the smarts, in many ways, live inside the phone. 
It requires a headset. A man puts on a headset. And the headset is able to track the movement of your head. A woman turns. A sunny spot to relax. So the non-physical part of it, the virtual part of it, is, uh, we call it an audio augmented reality. Jimmy's Cafe. And it's having these little sort of uh, descriptions floating in the air around you. Benches. That kind of help you understand, you know, where the coffee shop is, where the train station is. Replacement path 20 meters to the right. Compared to the experience that you would have if you didn't have any of those cues. Flowering garden. At least I know where I am. I get a bit of sense of direction. And yes, I might still make a mistake. I might still enter the wrong building or still ask for help. But at least I'm in control. I feel really empowered at that moment. All of a sudden, the technology now has purpose, it has meaning, it has value, because we're helping people realize their dreams, their ambitions, opening up new possibilities. The whole experience is, is powered by our cloud. We harness the power of the Azure services. Bus stop to South Road. I think what we are seeing here is technology that, in effect, disappears and puts the human experience at the center. When I think about the mission that we have as a company you know, to empower every person on the planet, I think this project starts to embody and reflect what that actually means in practice. The work that we've done, we've seen smiles of sort of joy and exuberance spread over people's faces when they begin to sort of understand and appreciate what they now have the potential of doing, what possibilities could open up to them. Your technology can impact us at such a deep, emotional, significant level. Yet this is all about what it is to be human. Microsoft. A couple of months ago, I had the opportunity to try on um, the earphones and go blindfold walking around Microsoft, and it's really, it's really cool. Um, the work I do to make accessible software, it's personal. I have keratoconus, an eye disease that severely inhibits my vision without the use of corrective hard contact lenses. My father has limited hearing from years as, from a career as diesel mechanic and a construction laborer. My mother has limited use of her hands from arthritis and a neck injury. My daughter's babysitter is losing her eyesight to macular degeneration. What I've found is that many of Microsoft have a personal story for why we care about making our products more accessible and work well for everyone. The work that we've done and we're planning to do represents a small step in that journey to make our products better for you. Um, this work that we is work that we have to continue for the rest of our lives. I want to thank Eric Bridges and the ACB family for joining us along this journey. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for your partnership. Thank you. Clint, thank you for that awesome presentation. And I will, if you'll indulge me, and perhaps even if you won't. In my role as president of BITS, I want to let you know that there will be a session on narrator in Lake Harriet at 2.45 to 4 today, Mr. Brett Humphrey. Mr. Brett Humphrey will be uh, with us um, in the Lake Harriet room, and he'll be like, giving an overview of narrator. And there will be the opportunity to do some one-on-one -on -one work with it in the BITS suite all day Wednesday. 
Uh, time for one question. And brief. Yo, get your mic, please. I'm on a mic. There. This is Frank Welty from California. I have two quick requests that I hope Mr. Clint will pass up to Microsoft top management. One, I would like to request that the office be updated so that the users will have the option of restoring the classic menus. Ribbon menus are an accessibility abomination. Second, I would like to request that if it's not already the case that the Microsoft development methodology will be updated so that no product will go out the door that is inaccessible. We, we don't need another edge. Okay, I'm sure Ms. Clint hears that. Next up, we have a panel on the Workforce, not investment, it's Innovation and Opportunity Act. Okay, I always choke that one. And basically, um, you know, back in, back in a prior life, from 86 to 89, I was the commissioner of the Virginia State Agency for the Blind. Uh, after that point, I had no professional involvement in the blindness system, and I know rehab has uh, evolved uh, considerably since that time. But I'm basically going to have Mr. Mark Reichert uh, introduce the panel and tell you what this is all about. But it's going to be an exciting presentation, I have no doubt. So, Mr. Reichert. Good morning, ACB. You know, I don't know, someone was being cruel to me or to this panel to expect us to get up here and talk about rehabilitation after a Microsoft presentation like that. So I know I have the sympathy of everyone in this room. We are, however, nevertheless going to try to make this not only exciting, but I hope informative for you. The purpose of this panel is to really sort of outline for you sort of the latest and greatest, to the extent that we have it, uh, information about the status of voc rehab in this country from both a policy point of view, but also how it plays out at the, at the state level and how you can work with your affiliates and chapters to try to make the best of the rehab system that you have in your neck of the woods. We're also going to be looking at uh, not only the policy angle, but frankly the data but that supports the policies uh, that support voc rehab in this country. And I want to also make sure that before this session is out that we also spend a little bit of time on the older blind program and the needs for uh, greater services and frankly additional dollars to serve older Americans with vision loss. I want to thank uh, my colleagues. Uh, uh, oh. Hold on just a minute. I'm having, I'm having a... a, a a, a middle-aged moment. I couldn't remember Doug's last name. Doug Powell from Virginia, who heads the rehab task force, and uh, Debbie, Debbie Grub. Jesus, excuse me. I have had caffeine. I really have. I had a big chai latte. It hasn't taken effect yet. Debbie Grubb, who heads our special ed task force, both the special ed and rehab groups work together on pitching to uh, our president and to the board and the convention folks the idea of doing these panels. And so today's panel and tomorrow's panel on education are the result of that. So thank you, Debbie and Doug, who's, even though I don't know your last names, I love you both very much. Uh, with that, I'll uh, just uh, let you know who's up here. Uh, if you were looking toward the stage, and I'm right here, if you're looking toward the stage, at the far left of the stage, we have someone I, I, I don't think any of you have ever met before. It's the incomparable Tony Stevens, ACB, Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs. I 
stuff that they were sort of contemplating. And I think Tony has the best voice in blindness. I think that. Uh, next, next to him is Michelle McDonald, who is research professor and director of the National Rehabilitation and Training Center at Mississippi State University. Welcome, Michelle. And our very own president of ACB of New York, Lori Sharp. So what we're going to do is have a bit of a conversation up here. I think we've got uh, at least two mics. Yes? Yes? We have another one. Perfect. Uh, so I think we'll be able to sort of talk amongst ourselves here. And uh, you're welcome to listen in out there if you'd like. Uh, so let, uh, let me start, Tony, with you. Um, I, a couple of days ago, the federal government published about a 442,000-page document that I'm sure you have now translated into Latin, uh, given your, in, in, uh, your abilities. Uh, but uh, there is a number of things in there, and this is new regs, new regulations, new federal rules that have come out of the uh, Department of Education and Department of Labor, but uh, we're particularly interested in what the Department of Education has to say on issues touching voc rehab and some of the hot topics there. I wonder if I'll just toss the ball to you first and talk a little bit about what some of those hot topics that we have been following and uh, in all seriousness, it's a ton of material and I know none of us have had a real chance to digest it all, uh, but uh, what uh, we're starting to glean from those new rules. It, it is, Mark, yeah, thank you. Um, and I was just saying to Michelle a second ago, uh, you know, it, it, when you go online and you try to look, or if you look in what's called the Federal Register, which is the, the, the riveting publication that the U.S. government creates that's up there with, with time and people and inquire and all those things, you're not going to find it yet. The, the way that the government works is they, they get this thing done, they put it up on their website on Thursday and send an email out as I was in the car going to, or on the bus going to the airport... Um, just saying, hey, happy holidays, enjoy. Uh, here's several thousand pages for your flight. And uh, essentially, it's now at the Federal Register getting copy edited, if you will. So it should be coming out pretty soon, as soon as they can get all the, literally dot the I's and Q's and all that stuff. Uh, the section that, that, and we're focusing on this morning, but the section that is of, of most concern is is around the RSA, Rehabilitation Services Administration, and the Vocational Rehabilitation Program. But then there are also some areas in the larger regulations dealing with these one-stop centers and basically the avenues that have not been that accessible or that friendly to people who are blind trying to find work, trying to get back on their feet, oftentimes hitting their head against the wall trying to deal with RSA or their local VR agency and not getting much help or things move at the speed of... Uh, I always make the joke about a snail riding on the back of a turtle. What does it say? And it goes, wee! And in a sense, that's W-I-O-A. They put the wee in W-I-O-A. Um, what used to be called WIA. It, it really is that sense sometimes. We felt that with the rules being so long to come out. They should have been out already. Um, and unfortunately, though, for those that, that might remember last summer, and I want to say a thank you to those in this room. A big thank you in this room that helped us weigh in on the comments uh, around some key issues. One of the key issues was, uh, has anybody ever heard of a homemaker outcome? Is that something? Yeah, some, that was one of the big issues. Uh, they have gotten rid of that. That is gone. What they did do was give an extension for those that are currently on it or working through the VR system now. So they're not just cutting off the faucet now. They gave us an extra, in a sense, a year 
Um, but in certain circumstances, that can be even longer. But what it means is, 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 and we'll talk about this more, Mark, I think, in a few minutes, is how do we redefine the sphere of the world that we have for those that want to find jobs and those that want to go back to work and those that just need this, the simple rehabilitation after going blind to just be independent again. So that was one of the areas. Another major area that's gotten a lot of talk and conversation is around the youth and pre-employment transition services, what we call pets. No, that's not what our animals are thought of at the airport. They're actual service animals. Um, but, you know, so if you're under age 26, there's a lot of opportunities there for you. You know, if you're 25 and younger, there's, there's going to be a lot of opportunities. Extended employment, they pushed up to four years now for, uh, you know, what could essentially be a lot of services that they've been trying to, to cut out around this idea of competitive integrated employment. And they really, they really got us in a, in a hard place with the homemaker exclusion. I mean, they pretty much held a hard line with the, this definition of what is competitive and integrated. And then in that, how does, it, how does it sort of trickle into anything else? If it's teleworking, if it's self-employment, things like that. So, uh, you know, they, they've drawn a hard line around this idea of competitive integrated. They've drawn a hard line around this notion of 15% of funds and then 50% of all supported employment funds are going to serve youth um, so there's a lot of opportunity we can talk about over this, this course of this panel it, it, that, that pertains to those, those folks that can be served. But fundamentally, we still face a very serious problem in rehabilitation that these regulations do not address, which are adults, older age adults, who are going to get a disability, and how is supply going to meet demand in the workforce system? And how is that going to be replicated or mirrored in the VR system? So I, I think overall, Mark... That's one of the main issues that, that, that in reading through the bill that is still sort of the, the elephant in the room. Yeah, that. yeah absolutely. And, and with that, let's turn then from sort of the high-level, somewhat academic policy side of things and, and, and find out a little bit more about how things are playing out in the States. And, Lori, I know you're really very much on the front lines there in New York. Uh, so uh, why don't you talk to us a little bit about some of the things you're seeing at the, at the state level? Okay. So... Um I'm being offered two mics. Wow. <laughs> I want to make sure you're well supplied. Matt. Michelle passed me the Very other good. one. Thanks. Okay. So in New York, and this may or may not be the way it is in your state, we have separate services for people that are blind under the, under the Commission for the Blind. And then we have access, which is adults continuing, I forget what it is, services for other disabilities um, for employment. And they basically um, are two separate agencies right now. Our services are not going to be combined, but our state plans for rehabilitation purposes through the Rehabilitation, rehabilitation Services Administration are required to be combined. Um, so this will make changes in, I think it's about 24 states that have separate commissions or speci blind-specific services. In addition, when we held our town meeting at our state convention last October, there was an entourage that arrived from state rehab, meaning the other disabilities, the um, which happens to fall under the um, education department, education, and the labor department and the commission for the blind. And... The Labor Department has some very unique services that while as blind people 
we get the services directly through rehab, we should still be concerned about what's going on because, you know, there there is meshing of funds and services and people should be aware of different options. Um, so, for example, the Department of Labor in many states are developing targeted internship and apprenticeship programs. Are those internships and apprenticeships accessible to and usable by people that are blind? Are those services in your one-stops for people that are becoming unemployed, whether it be through vision loss or job loss, are they accessible? Um, we've had experiences in New York, once they realize you're disabled, oh, well, your information's going to get passed on to someone else and, you know, go collect your however many weeks of unemployment and you never hear from anyone because that information does not get funneled correctly. Um, you know, and under Department of Labor, they have specialized funding for English classes for individuals who are newly arrived here or not native speakers. And they have literacy classes. These are areas where blind people would benefit. Um, you know, we, I guess maybe in New York, we see it more than in other parts of the country, but we have somebody right now um, in Staten Island who's newly arrived, and we had somebody out on Long Island who's newly arrived, both from two separate countries, and in their countries, they don't have a work history and they don't have the language skills. So these are all things that are now going to be covered and should be looked at, um, and we will be working on that. Excellent. Thank you. And then, uh, Michelle, let me turn to you and have us uh, help fill in the gaps a little bit in terms of what some of the data says. We've kind of looked at sort of the federal level, what the hot current topics are, and then sort of at the state level, what folks are really experiencing. But I've heard uh, concerns up here uh, from both Tony and Lori about this 15% business on transition, concerns about uh, homemaker closure, and I'd be interested what data, if any, we have with respect to exactly how many folks we think that that really impacts or might impact moving forward. And um, I, you, it, frankly, the whole overall issue of needing to support and strengthen specialized services and agencies in the extent to, I know Mississippi State has really sort of led the charge on uh, developing and uh, promulgating data on uh, the, the justification for separate state agencies. So what, what I, with those softballs, why don't I pitch it over to you? Okay. Um, yes, our agency has done a lot of work in terms of looking at specialized services and whether results are better for consumers served in, in separate agencies. And um, we have a long history of doing that research, and I'll just say, I won't give, go into details, but the research has always supported the efficacy of the, the separate services. And several agencies have used that research to, to try to preserve their separate services. We do have a, a recent study that was done with specifically with SSDI recipients, and um, that study indicated that older adults served by separate agencies do have better outcomes. Um, and now in terms of homemakers, that is a, a closure that is still being used a lot for blind and visually impaired consumers in 2015, 20.4% of the consumers who were closed successfully were closed as homemakers of those who are blind or visually impaired, but it was only 0.5% of consumers with other disabilities that were closed in that category. So that's, it was about 2,400 people who are blind or visually impaired closed as homemakers compared to only 
846 people with other disabilities closed in that category. So obviously that change in the regulations is going to have a much bigger impact on and this I'm population. Sorry, that, that's in one year? That was in 2015, right? Right. Okay. So two th more than 2,000 people yes. in 2015. And, uh, do we have any sense at all of the trend of that? Are, are there reasons to assume that that's pretty much how it's been for a while? Or if these rules on homemaker closure hadn't changed, that in fact it would be the same kind of numbers moving forward? Well, I know that I did a study a few years ago, and I know that from 1992 to 2004, um, homemaker closure use declined significantly, it, but it was at 28% in 2004. So in 2015, it was at 20%. So yeah, you know, it has gone down, but still that's a, you know, that's a significant portion. And I will say though that some agencies have pretty much stopped using the homemaker closure. We have some that have less than 1% of their blind consumers closed as homemakers, whereas some it was as high as 65%. So huge difference between the, the That's agencies. really interesting. But, I mean, the, the implications from that, maybe not scientific implications, but certainly one thing we, one could infer is that after June of next year, when homemaker closures are taken off the table, we've got a, several thousand folks who are blind or visually impaired whose service delivery is certainly going to be significantly impacted, or at least this is an outcome that's going to be off the table for them. Right, right. And I'm not, I'm not sure how agencies are planning on handling Mm -hmm. that, you know, what's going to happen. And let me toss it, before I toss it, Tony, back to you uh, to, for, for some response and further reflection on that uh, and what we can maybe do about it. Um, let me ask you, Michelle, about the 15%. I, I think uh, I read somewhere, uh, probably from you, <laughs> uh, that, uh, that state agencies uh, have, have in fact been investing pretty significantly in transition services, uh, and so that this notion in, in uh, the new Workforce Innovation Opportunity Act that we have to set aside 15% for transition services might not be quite the dramatic shift, uh, given that agencies may be already doing that. Am I, am I, have I interpreted that correctly? I don't have that data to support that, no. Okay. I, do not, I don't have data to support that that's accurate. What, um, what I had heard, and this isn't data that I generated myself, but I had heard that if you looked at youth, if, if you defined youth as um, anyone under the age of 25, that yes, a high proportion of, um, of uh, funds are spent on that population, but the way it was defined in WIOA was basically it's people who are in, um, in a secondary program, you know, pre-college, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so that they still have to be in secondary school. So that changes dramatically who, sure. you're, who you're looking at. Right, so. and that's an important point, so that the definition yeah. of who should be receiving those services has gotten narrowed, right. and exactly. the amount of money that they're expected to spend on that population has gone up. Exactly. So, yes. Tony, um, what are your thoughts about some of these things, uh, both on the transition issue, the possible impact of that, but you know, if we've got several thousand folks a year who now don't have this op option open to them, uh, what do we do about well at the national level? And just, just real quick, too, on the 15%, it's, it's also for, if you want to get supported employment services, it's 50% of that funding has to go. So if someone is, is also older, age, and has multiple disabilities, or, um, you know, I think we've all met someone or maybe worked with someone in our affiliate who's newly blind and just has a real hard time of adapting. And if they need that, that more hands-on supported services, uh, that's 50%. Um, you know, I think, and this is a plug for the afternoon panel at 2.45 uh, that, that Doug Powell has, has helped put together. Um, we, we need to ramp up our advocacy, in a sense, to our state agencies, our state units. We need to, to make them aware that there needs to be some sort of way 
that we can work towards what is a competitive integrated outcome. I mean, it's pie in the sky. There's no guarantee when you go into VR that you're going to end up with a job, period. But what we need to do is, is try to find a way so that we can, we can meet the needs uh, in getting people the services that they're going to need that takes time, which is oftentimes what the homemaker allowed for in a sense of people just need to learn how to be blind. You can't go get on a bus and go to work when you're even afraid to walk out your door. And so what we need to do in a sense is find a way, uh, and this is going to have to take in some relationship building with our state agencies that I think sometimes, uh, you know, we can do a better job at. You know, Lori, I think uh, you're, again, on the front lines of these kinds of issues. Why don't you weigh in here? Yeah, I'd, I'd be curious to hear from you, Lori, in that sense of, of being on that. You got the mic from Mark? I can't find Mark, so. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I, I just, um, there has been some extensive outreach by other disability communities um, through organizations like the LEAD Center to really work on peer mentoring Peer mentoring, guys, what are we? We're peers. The independent living movement is really pushing hard. What is an independent living center? Do you think that's kind of like supported employment in the sense that what percentage of their staff has to be disabled? 51%. That doesn't seem very integrated. Um, So if... You know, my argument is for some of our folks who... I'm sorry, my dog is moaning very loudly up here and making us laugh. Um, um, For some of our folks who are blind with additional disabilities, supported employment is a career goal. It's not a place where they're stuck. And... I know that some of these regulations address the fact that other segments, particularly people with developmental disabilities, were getting stuck in like training programs for seven years and never moving on to employment. And that's why these things are happening. And I I understand that. But for some of our blind folks, an NIB program really is suitable, gainful employment. And that's what we need to be advocating for. One thing, if I can, can I unpack something real oh, quick, too, that you hit yep, on, Lori? Because uh, you mentioned about the Centers for Independent Living. I mean, I want to I poll the room right now, in a sense, and get a sense, who has a good relationship with their local SIL? That's good. Who, who has had a difficult relationship with their local SIL? Okay. Um, you know, I mean, we in Washington work with the National Center on Independent Living on a number of coalition issues. Um, I, I think on a grassroots level, one of the things we need to work on is not just reaching out to the state agencies, but, and, and this, this falls into, into the areas, too, around the older individuals with blindness, which was mm-hmm. kept in the, in the Department of Education, while in Centers for Independent Living moved all the way over to HHS. Um, we know, you know, if you're 55 and up, you can, you can get a grant, but it's like minimal. It's, it's pennies of what really you need. Um, you know, we, we in some sense need to try to find a way to work better with the SILs. But I like what you said about the peer, Lori. I, I was talking with the, the esteemed Dr. Sheffield with your foundation, Mr. Reichert. 
um, Rebecca Sheffield, who, who heads research, who was telling me stories in, in Africa, because we were trying to wrestle with this sense of how are we going to work with, with nothing? And, and, and we'll get something. I don't mean to cry wolf and the sky is falling and all that. I mean, there's money still. But to meet the fact that we're going to double the numbers of people who are blind in this country over the next 10 or 15 years. And she was telling me about countries in Africa where they do sort of that embodiment that we had, like, and it came up in conversation with someone else last night in Berkeley in like the late 60s, early 70s, this peer movement, this empowerment. You know, one thing I'll say that we can do as a state affiliates is how can we be more engaged on being there for people and walking with them toward becoming independent? How can we as state affiliates, how can we as, as individuals who are blind mentor somebody? If everybody in this room finds one person that maybe could be left out of the equation because of these rules or just because of it's, it's, they're trying to navigate the process and don't even know what VR is yet, how can we walk with them so that their outcome can be so that their life is just as fulfilling as it was before they lost their vision? So, you know, some of the stuff they're doing in Africa and places like that, um, you know, might be something for us to look back in within our own community and give us a space as the American Council of the Blind where we could perhaps find innovative ways to, to, to be an empowering... I mean, we're already an empowering voice on so many issues, on the civil rights issues, on access, uh, but how can we sort of kindle that and nurture that again within those just transitioning back to trying hey, to... Hey, Tony, let's get uh, Lori in here. I just also want to add, this, this raises an issue where advocacy with parents is so important. Um, you know, also, our education and our rehab agencies, whether they like it or not, are going to have to work together. They are going to have to be an integral party at those IEP meetings. And those, you know, children with other disabilities have always had access to 11-month school year programs. Why are our blind kids not getting that when that's what they may need? Excellent. Excellent point. Um, Michelle, over to you. I, I, I wonder what uh, data and research and some findings that uh, you might be able to share with us have to do with the older blind program and services to, to older adults. I mean, obviously what we've heard several times now this morning is not only that the homemaker closure issue is obviously going to impact those folks who, you know, for whom that's an appropriate outcome. But the reality of it is a lot of our folks are, are older folks, and, uh, and we've got to be thinking about uh, independent living and quality of life. So can you talk a little bit about that? About the Older Blind mm -hmm. Program? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, a little bit. I, just, I have a few notes about what, we've, um, what we know about that data-wise. A large majority of those served through the Older Blind Program are age 75 or above. We expected that that might, um, the younger ages, we might start seeing more of this with the aging of the, the baby boomers. And we did see that re in, from 2008 to 2013, we saw about a 5% increase of those served in the younger age, age groups. But still, the vast majority of people served are 75 and older. Mm -hmm. 75 and older. And do, do we have much data, or at least reliable data, on how much is being spent per client? And Things like that? We do. We have some data from 2013. The average cost per person varied substantially by agency. And I don't have the overall average, but it varied from $238 per person in one agency to $2,966 in another agency. So, Wow. Um, do, do we have any sense, any documented sense about why the, such the variance between, among states? 
Well, you know, some states serve only a few people, for one thing. You know, the, the number of people served varies greatly. The amount of money each agency has to use varies greatly. You know, the, the minimum is 225000 a year, which is not much to do, you know, to, to do with. But then some agencies get funds from other sources. You know, and some agencies get more because they have a higher population. So just the amount they start with varies greatly, and then the number they serve varies greatly. So, mm-hmm. so when we talk about 200 at the low end, that's not the only, necessarily the only amount of money that's being spent per client when, and, because there may very well be state, other state funds or other funds that are being uh, pulled in to m- serve that client? Well, no, that, that includes all the funds that that agency that had. Fund. Right, okay. yeah. So there are literally in this country people, older people who are blind who are receiving services that amount to basically 200 and some dollars a year. Right. right. Does that upset any of you? making sure you're awake out there. Um, Lori, what, uh, talk to us a little bit about uh, services to older folks in New York. I, I really can't comment. Um, <laughs> but uh, what I will say is that um, it is definitely a critical area and, um, you know, obviously a growing area. We, in New York, we have the Commission for the Blind provides fantastic services, but outside of that, our contract agencies have gone over and beyond to serve the needs of senior blind people. Um, specifically, uh, Visions in New York City has a very large uh, senior program uh, that a lot of the blind people in the five boroughs really enjoy, and they do a lot of very accessible activities whereas you know you plop a blind person into a senior center and you know it's not for for just everyone it's not going to mean the same so it's it's getting creative with your funding it's it's looking for those alternative funding sources and working together and out of that senior center they are also learning that the vision senior 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 center they are also learning other skills as a blind person and you know that's another area where as ACB members, we can go in and volunteer. Great. And let me ask you this. We've talked a little bit about uh, funding and some of the policies at the federal level and how they play out at the state level. Let's shift a little bit and talk about the personnel uh, available to provide these services. Um, do we, um, Michelle, have much data in the terms of how many folks are actually able to provide the kind of quality services that uh, folks need? I'm sorry, I don't have data on, on the personnel available. Yeah. Um, Tony, you have any thoughts on sort of the, what our overall field's capacity is with respect to personnel meeting the needs of folks at the, both the folk rehab as well as the older blind? Well, a, a couple of things. One that was in the regulation, and which was something that we had concerns with. But then two, we had a meeting with Janet Labreck, a coalition I'm on in D.C. a couple weeks ago. She's the commissioner for RSA. And... You know, she was talking about, like, we were talking about, like, Kansas, for instance. The difficulty in Kansas in that they have had serious budget shortfalls, as a number of states have had around the country, and aren't funding and aren't paying salaries enough where people are leaving. So one of the personnel problems we're having now is keeping good quality people, you know, and, and being able to try to pay them a, a wage that, that will keep them, you know, the, the people that are successful in the sense of, of being... Uh, you know, kind of the modern-day uh, Sullivans, in a sense. You, you have also, 
one of the areas about the specialization of our, of our needs. As people with sensory disabilities, you know, we have a very unique set of skills that need to be learned to be independent. Uh, what they're doing is in trying to deal with the shortage of personnel, they're lowering in some sense ac across the board in the VR system kind of the requirements of, of what you, you kind of need to kind of come into the door, to enter the door. Um, what, it's, what it's doing is, is potentially putting a lot of people out there that might be serving people uh, who maybe don't have the necessary skills or credentials or training uh, or just knowledge set and, and, you know, on, on how to adequately get someone up to a successful closure. Uh, so that's, that's some of the personnel issues, I think, that are, yeah, that are resonating. We are going to invite you all to ask questions or make comments, and uh, we're going to uh, turn the floor over here to Michelle in a second to tell us a little bit about not only a sort of a status and update on what MSU has been doing, uh, but some of the future uh, projects that we can expect to see uh, their uh, good work producing. Uh, so uh, we, while, uh, while Michelle is uh, providing that update, if folks want to start winding their way to microphones, if you have questions or comments, Mitch we'll Pomerantz. look to you. Hold on a second, Mitch. Uh, glad that you're standing there. Enjoy standing at the microphone while you enjoy Michelle uh, uh, McDonald's uh, presentation. Go ahead, Michelle. Okay. We... Um I'll just tell you a little bit about the research we have coming up, some new projects that we just started. We tried to be very responsive to the WIOA changes that were going on. We wrote these, um, these projects at the time, right after the proposed regs came out. Um, so we were doing a few projects looking at employer, related to employer engagement, um, trying to figure out what are, some, what are the best ways for VR professionals to approach employers to help them encourage considering hiring people who are blind or visually impaired. Um, we're also doing a project to work with VR counselors on a training to help them be more confident and able to work with employers. Um, we are doing some data analysis to evaluate the impact of the pre-employment transition services 15% requirement because we're particularly concerned that you know, that will have an impact on the separate agencies. And although we didn't put it in our proposal, I would like to do some analyses about the, the impact of the, the elimination of the homemaker closure. Um, we are also going to be developing an app for youth who are blind or visually impaired and their parents to help them focus on employment. And that's going to be for youth between the ages of 4 and 24, so that very early in the youth's life to encourage the parents to be thinking about employment even very early on. <laughs> right. And um, we are also, we're going to do an investigation of job retention for people who are blind or visually impaired because of almost more than a quarter of the people who come into VR who are blind or visually impaired have a job already, and we want to investigate um, some of the policies in the agencies and um, try to figure out what it is that helps people retain a job after they lose their vision or their vision worsens. And let's see, we're doing a job search skills training intervention for youth who are blind or visually impaired. And, okay, I think that's our, that's our major new project. Excellent. Well, that's great. All right, Mitch, uh, your question or comment, please, sir. First, first of all, uh, welcome, Michelle, to, uh, to ACB. Good to have you here again. Thanks, Mitch. Uh, I don't think you can overstate what we're dealing with here. We're dealing with a crisis. Uh, I serve... I serve on the Blind Advisory Committee to the Department of Rehabilitation in California. Um, last year, 
uh, at least, and I, I didn't do the exact math, but it is very close to two-thirds of the case closures in California for the blind and visually impaired population was homemaker. Uh, I keep telling our director, I hope you can come up with uh, blind clients who want to work. And what they're telling us, and I suspect you're going to see this in, in other states, but what they're basically telling their counselors, you know, as of the day the regs came out, uh, they're not going to take any more homemaker cases, but what they're going to say is, uh, we, will, we will sign you up as, uh, as, as employment goals, and then later on, um, we'll, we'll figure something out. But as long as you say somewhere you want to work, except that most of these people can't work. Why? Because they're single parents. Why? Because they're taking care of their own parents. Why? Because they may have other disabilities that preclude full-time employment. We are in crisis, ladies and gentlemen, and, and I certainly, as, as someone who is involved um, representing CCB in California, I don't, I don't have a solution, but we need to come up with some solutions and work with our state VR agencies to try to figure this out. Also, if, if you could, uh, Mark, mention where the workshop is this afternoon, because I don't have my schedule with me, and I really want to go at 245. Thanks. <laughs> Very good. Uh, Tony, where is that workshop? Tony's going to tell us in a second after he cues it up. This Mar- is my Mr. Mr. It's Chair. The, it's the Sue Mirage Abiter. Room. Sue Abiter. Mirage Mr. Room Chair. at 2.45. I am going to recognize Mr. the lady Chair. who keeps saying Mr. Chairman. That's me, Mark. And who might that be? Judy Jackson. Hi. <laughs> Hi, Mark. Um, I think my question is for Tony, um, I think. Um, about... A year and a half ago, Tony I was looking at university training programs to go to school. And the one that I finally landed on was Western Michigan University or, um, at, in Kalamazoo because they said that in a mere 76 hours of coursework, you could have two master's degrees. One was in rehabilitation counseling and one was in rehabilitation teaching slash therapy. So I said, ooh, that's the program for me. Um, so I, I did. Now, it was my understanding at a conference that I attended last November uh, in the state of Michigan where their director indicated that the, once the um, WIOA regs came out that no longer would a master's be required to be a vocational rehabilitation counselor. Um, a, is that true? And then, uh, you know, it makes me then wonder what's going to happen to um, that part of the training program, which I know you can't answer, but that's just kind of... Okay, so Mr. Chairman. Hold, hold on a second. Tony? Yes, Michelle? Lori? Yeah, you're right in that, and I mentioned it just a little earlier that... Oh, I'm sorry, I missed it. No, no, it's fine. I apologize. I I didn't unpack it too much. I just kind of referenced it briefly. So a person can can enter into the fold, if you will, um, 
join the family, whatever you want to say, to, be, to, to get into the VR system without having a, a master's. Um, I think it's like some, ex- I can't remember exactly, you know, if it was like a, some experience and a bachelor's type thing. Or, um, so it, it, my hope is that designated state agency units that, that focus on people who are blindness are still going to raise a bar and, and try to say, look, uh, while this is the minimum, uh, you know, whenever you look at a job application, it says a master's is preferred or that kind of thing. You know, that there is still a value. Um, I think, you know, just the nature of the way things work is it would happen pretty quickly that someone that doesn't have nearly the amount of training that you've received at Western Michigan would show up to the job and do a miserable job. Um, going back to what Mitch said real quick, with Thank that you. many a- homemaker outcomes, you know, the designated state units are going to have a, a, a wide awakening experience in the, in the reality that, um, wow, we've got a lot of unsuccessful closures. Does that, does that warn our existence anymore? Are we doing such a bad job that, you know, the state, the governor is going to look at and RSA and DC is going to look at and say, well, you guys are doing horrible. We're just going to close you up and put you under the fold of one agency. Um, you know, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of moving pieces at play here. So I think in some sense, um, you know, advanced degrees are still going to be significant. One of the areas we're going to have to do on advocacy is reminding and, and putting pressure that you need to have the best qualified people in here to get the best number of employments if you really want to get your numbers up for a competitive integrated employment. Would folks identify themselves Sue by Amateur. first name? Yes. Sue, Sue Amateur. Amateur. Sue Amateur, you have the floor, madam. Thank you. I I chair the SRC in Washington State, and what I want to say to all of you today is we need blind people to step up to the plate and volunteer to be on the state rehab councils. Um, That the councils have the obligation to advise our rehab agencies. They They need to hear the voices of the consumers. And I have heard, it's not just our state, that there are not enough blind people willing to apply to be on SRCs. So let's step up to the plate. We know what blind people need. We know what blind people hopefully want. And it's our job to make sure the agencies carry that forward. Kathy Casey. Thank you. Thank Mr. You. Chairman. Mr. Chairman. Uh, this is Michael, Michael Byington. Michael Byington. Casey. This is Michael Neal from Ogden, Michael, Utah. the other Michael. Yes. Go ahead. Michael. Oh, this is Michael from Ogden, Utah. I just wanted to tell you some of the exciting things we're doing in Utah that I think do help out this whole situation. We have a teacher trainer program, which is a mentoring program that is going forward, where blind people, we've gotten grants from other sources, and it goes forward with us as blind people going out, provided drivers, and we help people with job skills, with computers, with mobility, with daily living skills, and we try to get them up to a level of employment by <clears throat> doing this, even though it's not directly through rehab, and I think it's a great idea for other states as well. Okay. Great. Thank you very much. I am informed that there's someone standing in a Nebraska shirt that's been wanting to talk for a while. All right. Well, thank you. All right. See, Hi, not a little is... favoritism to Nebraska All here, right, so... Well... Thank Fire you. away, Mr. Nebraska. Hey, this is Mark Bolger. I, I happen to serve in Nebraska as a commissioner for the blind, and also I'm on the silk, so I've kind of had a unique lens on this. 
one of the words that I heard a couple times was peer advisor or peer support, and that is going to be the buzz phrase for the future. I'm hearing that from our state agency right now. And I, I know we're in a crisis mode, but I also see this as an opportunity mode for the ACB because we, we care about all people, not just, you know, successful outcomes, which are definitely important, but we all know that anyone that can live independently can live successfully. So we need to be positioned as a consumer group organization to be prepared to provide that peer support. And that comes in a number of different ways. I think information is always important and then availability. But probably my biggest concern is, is how do we find the people that need the, the support or the, uh, how do we find them unless the consumer, unless like the state agencies are referring them to us. So we have to establish relationships with those state agencies so that we can be part of the solution. And, and then on the other hand, I'm going to just say about the silk, you know, we're competing, we're competing with other disabilities in silk and, and independent living will no longer be served under with WIOA, you know, these blind agencies or agencies that serve people with, with blind disabilities will no longer get independent living services anymore. So appreciate it very much. Uh, who seeks the floor? Kathy Frank Casey. Welty. Casey. Who? Kathy Casey. Carolyn Burley. Kathy Casey. Go for it. Uh, good afternoon. I'll make this quick. One of the things that needs to be done is we are our own advocate. Uh, one of the things that we need to do is to go out into the community. There are, I'm talking about senior centers. Uh, for example, there's one in our area that actually sought us out. They received two new residents for, um, it's an adult day center. And they both um, are losing their vision. And the activities coordinator or the director there really had no idea as to what how to handle them to include them in their activities. So two of us went in and spent the day with them and <laughs> showed them what to do and what different things they could do and what was available to them. Mentioned ACB, audio described movies, braille bingo cards, and such. So that's something that we can also do. Thank you very much. We've got two folks. Let's see if we can Frank do Welty. them. Two more. Who's this? Frank Welty. Frank, Frank, go for it. Okay. Assume... In the event of these uh, funding for, for homemaker closures drying up, can the panelists suggest sources of funding either that now exist or for which we might be able to advocate so that they could be opened up for the use of providing comparable services in other ways? So let me just pitch I, this. So we yeah. really don't have tons of time. There are clearly funds available through the Older Americans Act. There are funds available at the state level through a number of other programs. The biggest challenge we've got is getting the, our Older Blind program and other uh, programs to work together on that. I'm not suggesting that the homemaker closure only impacts older people, but clearly that's uh, an area that could certainly address yeah. some of that. Um, Real quick, me, Mark, too. Let me ask the la I get the last questioner. Who's this? Who's the last questioner? Okay, who seeks the floor? Carolyn Burley. So, so, oh, I, isn't my mic on? Now it's on. Who are you, madam? Okay, Carolyn Burley. Hello. What's it, your question I'm, coming? I'm concerned about the fact that they no longer have the homemaker closure. I'm, I'm retired. Of course, I've been retired 16 years from a rehab teacher. But in my agency, most of the people that were put on for, re, for homemaker closures were over 70. People that 
Could, you know, not that they wouldn't want to, but mainly they, could, they didn't go out to work because they were elderly. And I had a lot of homemaker closures, and it wasn't from the people that were young enough to do it. And I'm concerned about how these people are going to get the training. Ka- Carolyn? Yes. One thing that we have to remember is that other disabilities except for sensory disabilities, have their coverage through insurance mm-hmm. companies. Oh Medicare, God. Medicaid. Yeah. Our services are not covered. That's a problem. And it's that was, a national problem. It's a state problem. problem. And that was something I was going to say, what we need to advocate for is getting that coverage. I mean, I think that's going to be a huge, right. a huge factor. So, that, ladies and gentlemen, let that, me close this session was, out by simply saying that this that is a great conversation. It's also a rather distressing conversation in a lot of ways. With respect to older Americans, uh, be assured that our organizations are working together, as we often do, to try to mobilize our field. We're in the process, all of us, of developing a national aging and vision loss agenda. Your very own Tony Stevens is a champion for one of the four goal areas, that goal area having to do with low vision devices and trying to move the agenda on that. Uh, which has, of course, long been a top priority for ACB, as it is for so many of us. The other three have to do with addressing funding for older blind uh, programs and and funding for programs that complement it, the quantity and quality of professionals that are out there, and, of course, that third and most important area for us that we've talked about here, how do we coordinate the very limited dollars and programs we have in blindness with other state and federal programs, given that so much of what we have always depended on is drying, at, drying up. If you want more information about how you can be involved, get a hold of Tony Stevens. He'll tell you all about it. With that, uh, Mr. Chairman, back over to you. But ladies and gentlemen, please thank our panelists if you would. Thank you so much. Very good. Thank you. All right. Uh, I got no mic here. We got no mics. Hello? Oh, there. Okay. Good. Two door prizes, the second of which is 50 bucks. You might want to stick around, and we'll do announcements after door prizes. Uh, Catalina, check your mic. Okay, the Uh, next prize. Hello. Okay, the next prize is for Illinois. Linda Byers, are you here? Linda Byers? All right, move on. And we got a rock and roll here. Next. Don Earl. Don who? Earl. Nope, move on. Charles Glacier. Nope. Move on. Where are you guys? Mary Donaldson. Uh, Not hearing anything. Move on. Kathleen Benz. Afraid not. Natalie Barrett. At long last. Okay. Natalie Barrett. What did she win? She won a nice four-and-a-half-pound bag of Ike and Mike's candy. All right. And the last door prize is $50 in cash. Who can't use that? 50 big. I mean, pull my name, baby. Pull it now. Okay. Moving on. For an ad folder. For what? This is the $50. Yep. Just checking. Donna Ellis. Miss Ellis, afraid not. Move on. Matthew Folster. Nope. What? Mm, oh, Michael Garrett. Yeah. Is he here? Are you here? Right here. No, he's Michael not here. Garrett. 
<laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. Okay, are there any announcements? Mr. Chairman. Quickly. Yes, I recognize Dan. Announcements. Get to a mic, please. Mr. Chairman. Yes. Yeah, thank you. Whoever thank that is, you, I recognize Gray. you. Uh, I have two very brief announcements. Is Chris Gray in Missouri? The Missouri delegation is uh, selling raffle tickets this week for a 10-day cruise to Mexico. They're 25 bucks a piece. Come by the Missouri delegation and we'll set you up. The other announcement is that for those who are interested, we're having a, uh, a little gathering tonight in uh, 3121 to honor Sandy Sanderson and to have a good time. You're all invited. And uh, thank you very much. Okay, any other announcements? Quickly. Frank Welty. Mr. Welty. This is especially for the baseball fans going to the game tonight. Oh, Need a yes. radio? Check in with, with Frank, with me at the San Francisco, in the California delegation. I have transistor radios for 20 bucks. If you, if you're, uh, you're the, the uh, badge holder... At the game, they're 50, you, so, you know, it's yeah. like... It's if, like the, if your badge holder is getting frayed and worn out, we have neck wallets, which are great for that, that kind of thing. So. For, for door prizes, please come to the front, right-hand side of the podium. Thank you. And with that, any more announcements? I believe I'm going to shut it down, if you will. A moment of personal privilege. This was my first time to preside, and I thank you very much for being supportive of my efforts. <laughs> it's, been an, it's been an honor and a pleasure. And we stand in recess until tomorrow at 8.30. Okay, that concludes the live broadcast for this morning. We are going to uh, get the replay up here shortly. We definitely apologize for the internet outage earlier, but that's something we couldn't control. We had to get the hotel IT people in to fix the server. This afternoon, we're going to be streaming live on ACB Radio Live event only. We will be streaming the... uh, rehab task force uh, workshop and then we will be streaming the candidates forum later this afternoon and then this evening friends in art on cafe so here are the times for those the workshop from the rehab task force will start at 245 central 345 eastern 145 mountain 1245 pacific and the Candidates Forum starts at 6.45 Eastern, 5.45 Central, 4.45 Mountain, 3.45 Pacific. And the Friends in Art starts at 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 Central, 7 Mountain, 6 Pacific. So those are the times. And the workshop will be on live event. Candidates Forum will be on both mainstream and live event. And then Friends in Art will be on the cafe. And live event, actually. We'll simulcast on both cafe and live event. So general session replays will be replaying on mainstream this afternoon, except for the time of the candidates forum. And then Friends in Art, it will replay after the, tonight's live broadcast for the rest of the week. Those are the announcements we have from ACB Radio. We'll finish out with uh, Debbie reading tomorrow's agenda, and then we'll sign off. Here is the schedule for Wednesday, July 6th. 
In the Nicollet Ballroom, beginning at 8 a.m., Entertainment, Rebecca Cragney's Piano, Minneapolis, Minnesota. 8.30 a.m., Invocation, Father Ronald Johnson, Nursing Home Chaplain, Arden Hills, Minnesota. Pledge of Allegiance, JPMC, ACB Leadership Fellows, Miguel Mike Palomar, El Paso, Texas. Sandra Spalletta, Rockville, Maryland. Mika White, Federal Way, Washington, and Sheila Young, Orlando, Florida. 8.35 a.m. ACB Business, ACB Sponsor Recognitions, Marjorie Beeman, Advertising and Sponsorship Coordinator, Austin, Texas. Emerald Sponsor, Presentation, Sprint. Kelly Egan, Blindness and Low Vision Outreach Specialist, Denver, Colorado. Ruby Sponsor Presentation, Tom Wolkowski, Vice President, Comcast Accessibility, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Constitution and Bylaws, John Huffman, Chair, Indianapolis, Indiana. Resolutions, Mark Reichert, Chair, Arlington, Virginia. Presiding Officer, Ray Campbell, ACB Secretary, Glen Ellen, Illinois. 9.15 a.m. from my lips to your ears. 25 years of an NLS narrator, Martha Harmon Pardee, Talking Book Publishers, Inc., Denver, Colorado. Sponsored by Lua, 9.45 a.m., Braille Development and Policy Issues. A panel, Paul Edwards, moderator, President, Braille Revival League. Mark Reichert, American Foundation for the Blind, Washington, D.C., and Braille Authority of North America. Update, Sandra Rakonik, ACB, BANA representative, Salt Lake City, Utah. 10.15 a.m. break, 10.30 a.m. national advocacy and legislative update. Anthony Tony Stevens, Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs, Alexandria, Virginia. 10.55 a.m. Quiet Cars, Transportation, Regulations and Updates. Blair Anderson, Deputy Director, National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Department of Transportation, Washington, D.C. 11.30 a.m. Executive Director's Report, Eric Bridges, Alexandria, Virginia. 11.55 Announcements. And that concludes the schedule for Wednesday, July 6th.